This is the voice of the Report of the Week, signing on. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone listening to today's broadcast of VORW Radio International. Thank you so much for tuning in to the newest podcast. Hope you enjoy the show. We're going to have about, eh, I don't know, a little over three hours of, uh, of content for you today. Today's broadcast is going to be uh, a mixture, as always, of uh, some serious discussion on philosophy, on sociology, on current events, uh, also with some lighthearted discussion as well, listener questions, listener topic suggestions, miscellaneous banter as well. It's going to be a little bit of everything, so I hope you enjoyed the show today. If you are listening, by the way, uh, feedback, of course, is welcome. V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, you do want to support it, you want to hear more of it, and you want it to continue, then make sure you also support the broadcast with a donation of any size and shape. Anything helps. Anything. Uh, It's up for you to decide via PayPal to V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com or via Patreon at patreon.com slash the report of the week. This is the only time in all three hours that I'm even going to ask of this. Uh, It's just for you to consider if you enjoy the broadcast. Uh, For today's show, we do have a good selection of fan art for you, especially for our YouTube viewers and listeners. We have four uh, wonderful selections for you today. The first piece is by Josie. The second piece is by Savano, who wants to be credited via Instagram. Uh, you could find her at Vintage Star Art. That's Vintage Star underscore Art on Instagram. The third piece of fan art is credited to Sarah, and her work can also be found on Instagram at sfay underscore draws. That's S-F-A-Y underscore draws on Instagram. And the final piece is credited to Gabby. If you do want to submit any fan art, uh, you can do so via email to V-O-R-W. I-N-F-O at gmail.com Okay, on one final note, I know this show is going out Saturday. I meant to get it out Friday. Unfortunately, that just wasn't able to happen, but Saturday it is. Uh, I have been advertising and announcing the big broadcasts that I'm doing this weekend. The Saturday show has already gone out, but there is a special broadcast of VORW that can be heard on Sunday morning, For those of you who are interested, um, it's going to be two hours long, two hours of music and discussion, and really I'm just doing it for the fun of it. Hopefully, uh, whoever tunes in enjoys what they hear. It's just something to do, something fun. If you do want to listen to this special broadcast, though, uh, you can tune in on shortwave 6070 kHz, Sunday, July 19th. Uh, It's going to be transmitted from... Uh, a radio station near Vienna, Austria, very high-powered transmitter that usually is only used by the BBC World Service and other big broadcasters. Uh, So the quality of the signal is guaranteed. If it's good enough for them, then it's most certainly more than enough that this show could ever ask for. But the times that you can listen in tomorrow 
uh, would be 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern. It's a two-hour show. 6070 kilohertz, so again, 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern. Uh, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. BST. 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Central European Standard Time. 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Moscow Standard Time. Again, 6070 kilohertz. Uh, tomorrow, the 19th, a Sunday, and hopefully it'll just be a fun broadcast for anyone out there listening. Uh, listeners in Europe should be able to get the strongest signal. And with that, let's just get right into today's broadcast. Be safe, be healthy, and enjoy the show. This is VORW. Welcome everyone to the big show. Yes, the big, the big broadcast, VORW. Checking in doing another program for you. Welcome, welcome. Introductions aside, because I know foreshadowing using some sort of magical foreshadowing skills, I'm able to figure out that I very likely already recorded an intro beforehand, because that's what I always do. So, I was tempted to not get to the microphone tonight. I have a little bit of a tradition, of course, for saying what time I am at the microphone at. I'll be happy to oblige for you. 2.46 a.m., late night edition. So we're here, burning the metaphorical midnight oil. And here we are. Yeah, I'm at the end of my day, pretty much. I got up... Oh, let's see. I think I got up around... See, I don't even remember. It was either... Because at the beginning of the day, nothing truly... I was just kind of... You know how it is. You wake up for a bit, but then you don't really get out of bed for a little bit. Maybe you toss and turn. You try to get some more rest, but you just can't. So then you decide, oh, right, you know, I guess I'm up for the day, right? I just can't recall if I decided to get up at... I think I originally woke up at 11 a.m. And then I got myself out of bed around noon, I think it is. So, considering that, and considering we're getting to 3 a.m., I've been up for a while. I'm approaching the end of my day. And I decided, well, before I go to sleep, I guess I'll get to the microphone, record a couple thoughts for the next show, and then uh, hit the hay afterward. But to tell you the truth, as I was sitting here, I was thinking, do I really want to talk about this you know I was I was feeling somewhat motivated to go ahead and do this and then part of me was like nah wait just wait for another night and um then you'll be okay I decided against that I said no you know what I'm gonna do it now I'm gonna do it tonight while the thought is fresh in my head don't let any worries don't let any fears uh get to you don't let them overwhelm you because that's exactly what some people want mind you some people want you to be too afraid to talk about something. That'll make them happy. Don't do that. You gotta stay true to yourself, what you believe. Don't back down. People, if you back down, in some cases, people see that and they see it as an advantage. They see that as weakness. They see that as a way that they can go against you and prey on you. Some people truly are animalistic completely and totally and not in any good quality mind you completely degraded completely degenerated 
Their thought process is animalistic, and their behaviors reflect that completely. I say that with, without a doubt. You know, like wolves, or uh, whatever. No, wolves are too good. That's too good. Wolves are respected creatures. That would be too nice of a thing to say. Rabid. Rabid. Senseless animals. That'll just tear you to shreds, torture their prey, make sure it suffers. It's how some people are in this world. And some of my, my talks have taken, I don't know if you'd say a negative tone lately, but it's for good reason. On certain things, in certain cases, in certain situations. The way the world is, it's, it's not always smiles and rainbows and all the good stuff. And to say that it is, is giving yourself a false impression of reality. Now, listen, I wish that that's how it is. I wish. You know, if it was rainbows and smiles all the time, I would... That's paradise. That's heaven. You know, that's... That's not what this world is. Of course I wish it is. Of course I long for a day when that may happen, when people will respect one another, when people can live harmoniously, when there can be a true sense of community, when so many evils that plague this world are no longer. But that's not where we're at right now. So to try to say that that's how the world is, and if you see certain things, if you see certain behaviors, if there's certain people that are this way, oh, don't think about it, just distract yourself on other things. That's not, that's not doing anything. That's not being in touch with reality. You might say, yeah, but being aware of these things, what good is it going to do me, maybe aside from make me paranoid or depressed or whatever? It prepares you. That's what it does. Because you have to be on the lookout. You have to keep your eyes open. Hey, just because some people might not be trying to do things to you right now doesn't mean they won't try to down the line. So make sure you keep your eyes open and pay attention. Because at least, at the very least, Understand your enemy, lest they try to go after you. Remember that. You may not be able to do much against them, but at least understanding the problem. It's one step closer to the solution. Can't do anything if you don't understand what's even going on. So that's why I say, look, don't, don't delude yourself about the state of affairs. Now, at the same time, I have to say that just because the world isn't perfect, just because there's so much scum that happens to inhabit the earth likewise, that doesn't mean that there isn't a rainbow. Doesn't mean that there isn't any good. Doesn't mean that this is just one giant hellscape that never gets any better and every last person is despicable. That's not true. There's plenty of good in the world, but we need balance. See, we can't focus on the good exclusively, pretend the bad doesn't exist, because look, that loops back to what we were already saying. If the bad then catches up with us, you're going to be blindsided, they're going to take advantage of you, and you're going to be in a very, very bad spot. 
at the same time. Don't focus exclusively on the bad either, because focusing exclusively on the negative characteristics of humanity, of society, of the world that we inhabit, it is like a disease, it is like a virus. The negativity, it multiplies, it infects us, it lingers, it brings us down. And with that, we ignore the good, we focus only on the bad, and often we can find ourselves miserable. That's why finding that balance, you need to be aware of, look, this is how things really are, this is how people, in many cases, really are, this is how humanity is, or how they can react, but that doesn't mean that every last person's evil, it doesn't mean that everyone is out to get you, it doesn't mean that everyone is there to hurt you or harm you, or uh, wants to inflict pain and misery and suffering on you or, or anyone dear to you. There's good out there, we have to realize that, we have to accept that, we have to understand that, and truly I believe we should try to spread that as well. But we can't be oblivious. By understanding it, it helps you be a stronger person, and it helps you at least to try to fight and combat any of that evil if you find yourself in a situation. So that's why, it's all about balance, and that was a mistake that I made. You know, sometimes I'll try to take different approaches, sometimes I'll try to take different things. Sometimes I think I'll be too, like, overly positive. But I just don't want to lie to people. I don't want to try to lie and just say everything's going to be alright all the time. That people are good, people are going to be this way or that way. Because then look what happens. If someone does something that goes against that, it's going to hit you way harder. And if we knew, all right, there's some good and some bad, and some bad things can happen, good things can as well, still might hurt, but it's not going to be as bad. Maybe that shock isn't going to be as much. You see where I'm going with this? It's about balance. It's all about balance. You can't, you know, <laughs> envelop yourself in the positivity 100% of the time, nor should you the negativity either. It needs to be a mix. And that's what I've been working on myself. To try to just be able to... You know, I try to be in touch with the world. Not that I'm perfect by any means, but I try to pay attention to what's going on. That's why I enjoy following current events. That's why, you know, various things like philosophy, like sociology, like all of these things have been of great interest to me. Well, why? Because it interests me, that's it. Something can interest you. It doesn't mean that you think, oh, I'm going to be some sort of great thing, and I'm going to cure this, and I'm going to do this to the world. No. I don't think I'm going to do a single thing. But it interests me. It certainly does. The way our minds work. What, what makes us tick? Why do people do some of the things that they do? Why do people act these certain ways, right? Those whys. Not that there's even an answer in certain cases, but... At least, expanding my understanding of it is the best way to put it. It's enjoyable, and it's a genuine curiosity, and it's something that I try to expand upon. But anyway, sometimes I pay attention to certain, certain things. I try to, I just try to look into, if there's something that catches my eye, even in the correspondence that comes in to this very show, I'm not going to lie, yeah, I pay attention to it. Sometimes I'll analyze it, and if certain things catch my eye, I'll think, well, why did someone 
behave in this way. Not say this or that. Some people just have a different way of phrasing things, but why did they behave in this way? You know? And I just analyze it. It's just of interest in that way. Silly, but it is. Because sometimes when you do that, I think it, it, it brings perspective in that if you notice a pattern, if you notice a lot of people acting in this one way or acting in another way, sometimes it tells you something about society that you just didn't, you didn't really realize it before then. Now, I hate to say it, but many of those qualities that I've discovered haven't been good ones. And if anything, it's taught me that there's a lot more people out there who, I don't know if you would say bad, but certainly have overwhelmingly negative characteristics that I think are inherent. It's not going to be fixed on its own, you know. Sometimes I say this, and I think there's truth to it, people are the way that they are. What can you do? But still, some people can change. We can't forget that either. Sometimes, look, we're talking about negativity. Sometimes you can get overwhelmed in it. And it's like, can people ever change? Are people just stuck this way? Some people are. Yeah, absolutely. From the moment they're born till the grave, they sure are. Anyway, real quick, I'm doing this live right now. I have a broadcast going out in 30 seconds. This is so stupid. I'm sitting here trying to do this philosophical drivel, and here I am checking this broadcast, but I just want to make sure it's going out. This one is uh, the 50,000 watt AM station, WNQM. Let's just make sure. There it is. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone listening to today's I just want to make sure it's the right date. All right, we are in business. Yep. All right, good. That's the uh, AM broadcast. I always monitor every single broadcast that comes out. I listen to it. If I'm not live at the mic and it's a rebroadcast, because I have, you know, like 20 or 30 airings each week that goes out, uh, I just want to... I always monitor it for signal quality, uh, clarity, um, propagation. I want to make sure that, you know... The right file goes out, that the transmitter's working, you name it. I always check this. Okay, that's good. See, I just monitor it, and then I monitor the feedback, reception reports, whatever. But that's a rebroadcast. And um, very good. Very good. That broadcast always, always does well. You know, I already see right now. Yeah, the emails are already coming in. That's good. That's a very popular airing. It might actually be the most popular one of them all, the Nashville station. So that's good. That 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 one especially. I always want to make sure the right file goes out there because it's, you know, lots of people catch that. It's a very good signal. Actually makes it down to Florida, even on the AM. You hear from people all over the the South and the Appalachian region, even into the Midwest a little bit. It's a lot of fun, but anyway. 
So sorry for that little bit of a break, but just what I've been trying to get at is that you see certain qualities and maybe it's not the fact that such qualities ever existed or didn't, but you pick up on the prevalence. You know, you start seeing certain behaviors. People act certain ways, they do certain things that it's just sad when you see how many people really do this. You know, you notice something, and then you, you start seeing it more and more and more. Now, that's a phenomenon. That doesn't mean that all of a sudden you realize its existence, and then everyone starts doing it. Not at all. It's just once you hone in on it, you observe it, you're more keen to observing it. good example of that, I remember, was, oh gosh, back in 2007, I think it was. There was this one type of car that I really liked. It was a Chevy. It was a type of Chevy, and it was near and dear to me, and I was looking at, you know, this type of car. Before then, I had only seen it, like, on the street, you know, a couple times, a small handful. But I was really thinking about it a lot. You know, how it looked, the design, the paint, everything about it. Then, in the coming weeks, oh my gosh, it's everywhere, you know? I start seeing this type of vehicle parked in the street. I see it driving by. I thought, oh my gosh, I remember I counted like 20 over the next few days and I couldn't saw one on TV. You know, it's like, wow, it's everywhere now. Not really. It's always been there. You just finally realize it and you start paying attention. You hone in on it. You realize, oh my gosh, oh, it is prevalent. It could be for better or for worse. You know, it's, and there's certain things that doesn't always apply. It's like, there was a very specific type of classic car. Let's keep it with automobiles. And I just start looking around on the streets. Hey, maybe I'll see one, you know, one day. But it's not like I'm going to say, oh, this, uh, you know, 1952 um, whatever car is uh, my favorite. I'm going to pay attention. And, and then I start looking and I see, you know, a dozen of them in one day. And it's, no. Maybe if I'm very lucky, you know, you see one somewhere. But that's it. It just depends. Depends also on its true prevalence. But, anyway, one behavior that I've noticed lately in terms of its prevalence that it's just a lot more common than I guess I wish it was. I guess that's the best way to put it, right? More common than you wish it was. It's like, I know that it's there and I know there's nothing that I'm going to be able to do about it. It's just a kick in the, in the gut to be PG. Where uh, it's just like, I wish I wish the world wasn't this way. wish it wasn't like that. But I shrug. It's like, I know I'm not going to... Nothing can change. People are, especially when you get into psychology, people are how they are. It's just a silly attitude that I've noticed uh, quite a lot this last week. That's what brought it to my attention. Where you have some people... I don't think it's a ton... But certainly a large enough percentage that it was startling to me how relatively commonplace it is. But people have this, this attitude, and it's like it's ridiculous to me. It makes no sense whatsoever. Like, again, there's that disconnect. It's like, I understand it. I despise it. And I don't, I don't know how I could be that way. It's this attitude where it's like, 
You have to think exactly the same way that I do. Or I hate you. You have to think exactly the same way I do. You have to have the exact same preferences, the exact same likes, the exact same thoughts, the exact same everything. And if you aren't, dropped. If you aren't, F you. If you aren't, I, th I thought better of you. Because you're not just like me. How dare you aren't like me, right? Think of it this way. Can you imagine the sheer absurdity? If I had the audacity to say here seriously, don't listen to this show anymore, don't comment anymore, don't message anymore, don't email, don't subscribe, don't listen, and don't even interact. If you do not think exactly the way that I do, if you don't like the style of clothing, the style of music, the interests, my viewpoints on current events, and anything in between, if you have one single deviation from it, get out. I don't want you here anymore. Get out. Get out. Think of how absurd that is. You probably, if, if I sat here and I started the show out with that exact message, I think a lot of people would be scratching their heads and it'd be like, what? That makes no sense. So you're saying that I'm not free to think what I want to think? Sure, I don't see eye to eye on everything, but you're acting so abrasive. You're acting so cold. You're, you're acting so selfish. Why don't you think people can't think exactly the way you do? Well, that's weird. Yeah, I'm not going to listen anymore. Not because you know, I, I, I realize, oh gosh, yeah, I don't, I don't see eye to eye on you, my bad. No, but because of that, that attitude, I don't want to support something like that anymore. It's, <laughs> you know how it is? It's like, God, that's so bizarre. Now, of course, that was an exaggeration just for, to prove a point. You could think totally different than me. <laughs> like I've said before, I really don't care. Everyone has free thought and critical thinking. Critical thought is probably one of the most important characteristics we could ever have and i fully expect every single person listening to this broadcast we're not going to see eye to eye on everything but you better believe i'm going to welcome you into this show with open arms that's fine at the same time i don't expect everyone who you know has a disagreement to be cordial and shake hands and be all good and you know, it also depends if it's a very hot-button issue and controversial. Yeah, things <laughs> things might get a little messy, but I, I really do believe agree to disagree. That's, that's the whole point of civility. We don't want a world full of clones. We don't want a world full of mindless robots. We don't want people to all think, this good, that bad, this good, that bad. Do it this way, don't do it that way. <laughs> we, we need, we need that independence. Some things are going to be done the right way, some things are going to be done the wrong way, but that's how we even advance as a civilization. You think one way, we're, we're never going to get anywhere. It's the beauty of it. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And I think a lot of people realize, very easily for such a statement, how out of place that is. That it's like, no, that doesn't make any sense. It's like, 
So you're telling me I can't think for myself? You only want people who agree with you in absolute terms to to listen? You know, it's, if anything, that's, that's really weird. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's like people realize, ah, uh, this is iffy. You know, it's like, oh, oh gosh. Well, we can see that when it's put in that context. We can see that maybe it's not as we would define right. That it's not, it's not acceptable and it's just not the dignified, respectable thing to do. Like I said, if someone listens, and even if they strongly disagree with me, if you can do so, and it could be heated if you want, but in a dignified manner, I'm not going to sit there and berate you. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to get into this petty, you know, war of words where it's like so childish. If you know, if you, if you. It's, it's silliness. Pure immature silliness. If one can retain dignified, I will be happy, regardless of how much you disagree or whatever. Sit down with you, have a drink, whatever you want it to be. It could be coffee, could be water, could be anything else. I don't care. Sit down, have something to drink, and I want to know why you feel the way that you do. I want to learn more from even those who may vehemently oppose, let's say, a viewpoint or a stance or whatever that I have. You know, well, why do you feel the way that you do? The problem, again, and I think I said this in the last show, is oftentimes when I try that approach, people that get so combative, they get so childishly combative, they're like, F you. Yeah, but I'm just, I'm not trying to say that to attack you. I'm saying it because I'm legitimately curious. I want to know why your stance is the way that it is. You know, that's all. Help me understand things better. And then people, they just get so, I don't know, combative. They start throwing the punches, you know. We see that if it's done from the broadcast end to the audience, it's really weird. It's disrespectful. It's just odd. But I see that exact same attitude, really in a word-for-word manner, expressed to me on a daily basis. Now, that's not to say... Oh, woe is me. Why do people have to be this way? Why can't people just do this? You know, but it's just, it's strange to me. That's why I'm bringing it up. It's a characteristic in humanity that I knew existed. But I think it's true prevalence since I started taking note of it. I just, yeah, of course you see it more and more. But when you're just seeing the frequency that it actually ends up happening and you start catching examples of it that you previously had missed because you really weren't aware of it fully or noticing it. It, it, it. It's a saddening that this, this viewpoint is so prevalent, that people can see it when done in such a direct way, but they themselves might not be any better. I've noticed, especially with this last show that I did, last week's broadcast, not controversial, not all that inflammatory, not calling for any sorts of violence or death or any of that. Not calling for extremism or attacks or anything, anything in between. Not endorsing any sort of controversial political or social movement, just some talk. And that's it. 
but would you believe sometimes i really think that it's bots like how how is this even human behavior when it happens so often in such a span over such a unique thing but i don't know i think that i don't think that it's bots doing this and acting this way maybe it's a some some person with no life who's just doing it on a bunch of accounts but i don't know it seems like independent people that all come in and it's like for some weird reason people really decided to pick apart the show and they find one thing that not even that i said was wrong or not but that they personally didn't like and then they're like you are a piece of because you think this way and you don't see things the way that i do huh how strange is that don't you realize that people are different how do, do, do you not understand that if someone has especially now when i talked about sitting down and talking it over mind you that's in terms of controversial issues that's in terms of the really controversial stuff the the no-no stuff you know the the real stuff that get you demonetized on youtube and all that it's like look could be a huge divergence i'll still sit down i'll talk it over with you i want to know why you see things the way that you see it now the menial things all right look at it this way it's like uh uh i like chicken nuggets then someone's going to send me this raving email and saying well and, and it's like you would think it's a joke mind you you would really think that it's a joke but it's not you can just you can tell when someone's trolling and i get lots of troll emails a day every single day i'm actually checking the um as i'm recording this i'm looking at the email for the broadcast that's going out as i'm doing this and lots are coming in and i see this one right now someone had a song request they wanted to hear something from Grant McDonald, which like you could, I I I know I've listened to his music. I'm ashamed of myself for saying that. Very very vulgar. Um, no, I know that that's a troll. You know, it's they, they. I'm looking at the email right now. They make themselves seem like they're a sincere listener, but then they want to hear this very very vulgar song that obviously you can't play on the radio like that. And they try, but you can tell that's a troll. That's someone faking. Uh, and feigning sincerity to try to just get one over on you. Sometimes I'll get other emails that are written very politely, very nicely, but there's always always that little bit of a giveaway, one way or another. And sometimes you'll have things that are just deliberately sarcastic, which again, you can, you can tell, what I'm trying to say is you can tell the difference between something that's a genuine, that comes from a sincere place, versus something that is insincere. And especially when the more of it you're exposed to, the more you're uh, able to distinguish it. And anyway, you could tell that these emails that came in, especially for the last show, were genuine, that they were legitimate. But like I said, it would be like to give an example. It'd be like if I said, I like chicken nuggets. I do. I actually do like chicken nuggets. I prefer chicken tenders. But chicken nuggets are good too, especially the spicy ones. The spicy chicken nuggets, let me tell you, those things are pretty good. The Wendy's ones, the Wendy's ones are my favorite. Burger King's all right, a little lower quality than Wendy's. Wendy's nuggets are good, you know. 
I don't know if is Wendy's still supposed to be are we not supposed to go there anymore how's that supposed to work <laughs> everyone's forgotten about that I'm just I'm just playing but anyway spicy nuggets let's say well I like chicken nuggets right then someone goes and sends this uh, right raving email you know I I've unsubscribed I've decided to stop sending any uh, any support to your channel I've uh, gone and I've disliked every video of yours because I hate chicken nuggets and you just said in your show that you like chicken nuggets well you're obviously too stupid to realize why chicken nuggets are bad and this and that and then you know it gets worse and worse and then it gets to the point where you know you get sometimes backhanded or hidden insults but then it gets to the point where you know they're so fired up it gets direct and i'm thinking thinking to myself okay they're obviously angry they're obviously upset do me a favor for once and look at yourself in the mirror and look at what you're behaving this way over so you're telling me that you are this angry that you are this upset this insulted because i like chicken nuggets and you don't does does that make any sense to you makes no sense to me but it's not just one person i've gotten that like over these menial things menial Be one thing if i went out and started getting into issues like abortion or something then absolutely i would completely expect correspondence like that because it's a heated issue it's a divisive issue divisive is probably the word i was looking for but over something menial that really it is of no consequence if you have this one stance or another it's like again who's gonna really get in a fight with someone if they like a certain food or not it's like all right yeah i like chicken nuggets yeah, i'm not a fan of chicken nuggets i'm more of a uh, more of a burger kind of guy yeah sounds good even if it's you know i like chicken nuggets nah i don't really care for them that much you know as a matter of fact i'm a vegan and say oh yeah well uh, you know, if you've been a vegan your your whole life when did you uh really uh, you know decide to to become one to make that that choice it's like instead of someone says you know oh i like the chicken nuggets they say yeah i don't well why not what's wrong with you you some you some kind of idiot for not liking chicken nuggets what the what the f is your problem you see how out of place that is it's like then then people will look at like what's what's wrong with you why are you so combative you know why can't he just like what he likes <laughs> you know so i've been seeing that more and more this attitude where everyone has to have they have their views but everyone else that they come in contact with has to share them to a t no exceptions no excuses nothing else is going to cut it got to be perfect you think it's like some weird mating ritual you know trying to find this 
perfect partner or something. Even that's weird. Of course, in a relationship, you want to find commonalities, but even then, it seems absurdly restrictive. But over something that you're listening to someone else's show, and then you want them to be exactly like you, I, I don't even know you. I've, I've never seen you, I've never even really communicated with any of these people. I don't know you, so how, let's even play into it. How am I supposed to be exactly like you if I don't even know who you are? You see, you disassemble it and then you realize just the, the absurdity to it. But continuing, I've seen this behavior more and more, where it's like you have to be 100%, it's like you're either with me 100% on everything, or you're my enemy. <laughs> so people, I guess, can't think for themselves anymore, at least according to certain people. And the thing that really baffles me the most, and when I see these types of behaviors, I've been thinking about it, and it tells me one of three things about how these individuals are. That either A, it exudes narcissism completely. That these individuals have such an incredibly inflated sense of self-importance that everyone else needs to live the way they do. That everyone else in this world needs to think the way they do. That everyone else in the world has to like exactly what they do. And if they don't, then they are the problem, right? It exudes narcissism, incredibly so, in such off-the-charts levels. A second possibility, these individuals have no clue how the world works, that they've, I don't know if they've been sheltered their entire lives or deliberately keep it away or what have you, but they are so out of touch with reality, and that shows as well. Or C, that maybe through no fault of their own, maybe they've been misguided or misunderstood <laughs> their entire lives, or at least for this part of their life, that they think that this is how it is when really that's not the case. Now, I would largely lean probably toward the, the narcissism approach for a lot of it, but the other two, they cannot be forgotten. And these aren't trolls, they're, they're legitimate people, but my goodness. Those, those types of behaviors and their prevalence are truly scary. And this is something that I've really come to see since the last broadcast was released. And it's the best type of reaction, it's like, when you see it, it's like, whoa, oh gosh, what, what, what is this place? It's... I guess all that I'm trying to say is that it's a very bizarre behavior and that it just doesn't make much sense to me, but I notice its prevalence and it's just, it's startling. Startling is probably the word that I was looking for best to describe it. It's just startling. I, you know, I know there's nothing I could do about it, but I just talked about it. I wanted to bring it up, and it's just very, I don't know, it's, it's concerning, but again, 
if you could see me right now, I'd be shrugging. It's like, look, I may not be a fan of it, but what, you know, what can you do? The world is the way that it is, I suppose. But that's just what's been in my mind. That's just why I wanted to pick up the microphone, even at this late hour, even as I'm kind of getting tired, getting ready to fall asleep. I wanted to pick up the microphone and talk. Because these observations, I'd really, I made them a couple days ago. But I solidified them, and I, I, just this evening, I don't know, I was just thinking about them quite a bit. And you know how it is, when you finally get that way that you can eloquently say what you're feeling, what you're thinking, take advantage of that. At least that's what I try to do, regardless of the time, you know. I'll pick up the microphone, I'll start talking. Right now, you know, I don't have that much energy, I can actually feel it running out, it's like... Running on empty. But it is, in the metaphorical gas tank analogy, it is. I'm running on empty right now. I'm, I can feel myself getting tired, which, I mean, you know, with the insomnia and all that, when that happens, you know that you're getting ready for sleep. But despite all of that, I wanted to get the microphone and, and discuss this. Because this is one of those moments of clarity, and I needed to, needed to do it now. So that's all. It's just an odd observation but worth bringing up. You know how it is. You can have your views, you can have your differences. We don't all need to see eye to eye on everything, but remember the principles, kindness, respect, dignity. This is VORW, that's all that I got for now. All right, so this is, um, this next part of the show anyway, is recorded a day later, um, a little bit later at that. Again, I don't know, I have this habit now of getting to the microphone before I go to sleep, but why not? Again, if it's a time that works for me, it's a time that works for me. A little bit later though, six, a little bit after 6 a.m., but again, winding down. Got a pretty good night sleep last night, and, um, hopefully... I'll get a uh, sufficient rest, you know, after I'm done saying my piece. And um, then have a productive day after that. Hope to get a video done. I mean, we'll see. I know by the time, you know, because I waste so much time between recording the show and getting it up, that it's already going to be said and done, so it's no big spoiler or anything. But I'm going to um, try to do a review of this one of those new Taco Bell items. So I'm gonna see how it is. Might be good, might be bad. Taco Bell is very, you know, hit or miss. It's all over the place. It's like, you know, throw a dart at the dartboard and <laughs> blindfold yourself too for that extra challenge. Where, where's it gonna hit? Are you gonna get a bullseye or is it gonna be right on the edge or is it gonna miss completely? You know, I don't know, we'll find out. We'll find out. Can't judge a book by its cover. Might be good, might be bad, but we'll see. Um, but that's not why I'm here today. Not not to discuss Taco Bell or anything. That's for the other channel. That's for the whole review. Uh, I had an interesting dream last night. Sometimes I remember my dreams. Sometimes I don't. You know, if on occasion, very rarely... Um, you know, I'll mention it if, it if it's of any interest, if it's maybe amusing, or if it's just, if it strikes out to me in a very odd way. 
Like, I don't know if anyone remembers, I guess it was eight, nine months ago, I talked about the one dream where the U.S. was uh, in the midst of the Civil War. You know, I guess the second Civil War it would be. And someone actually, I remembered that because someone sent me an email about that the other day. They were saying that they thought that dream was really interesting. Um, but last night I had a dream that... I want to talk about it right now because you know how this stuff is. When you have a dream, even if it's even if it's leaves an impression on you, the moment you wake up, you already start forgetting it. And with every day that passes since you had that, you forget it a little more and a little more. So it's again one of these instances where you want to get fresh at the microphone and uh, discuss it while you can still remember at least more details of it. If I wait a week, uh, it's, you know, it's going to be much more vague, etc. Not that it's the longest dream or the most detailed one. It's just the content of the dream was, was of particular interest uh, after having woken up and, and realized it was a dream. It was just a very, very interesting premise. That's why I want to talk about it. So, in this dream... It deals with the medical field, but it's not, it's not related to the coronavirus at all. Uh, it wasn't even like a big concern at that point in time. So I don't know if this was supposed to take place before the whole pandemic or after the pandemic. You know, maybe in an alternate universe where it never existed, I don't know. But in this dream... Life seemed to be pretty normal anyway, and I needed to go to the hospital to get some sort of tests done. Uh, I forget what it was, you know, that, that, that wasn't the, the purpose. The whole point of the dream was that I needed to go see this one doctor at a local hospital and get some sort of test or some sort of analysis or some sort of appointment. And nothing urgent. It wasn't any sort of procedure it wasn't any sort of emergency it wasn't like i was being rushed there in an ambulance i was going there on my own volition i was it was just you know for my own good you know going there to get checked up on or whatever and i remember i go in and it's it's entirely normal it's like you're going to the doctor you know this was obviously a specialist or something for one reason or another but it was all normal signed in, checked in, was present, accounted for, was in the waiting room. It seemed it seemed quiet. That's again what makes me think that this wasn't related to the, the virus at all. Uh, the hospital was very, very quiet actually. I think I was the only I was like one of the only people, if not the only person, even there at that time. And it was daytime. I would say it was like either late morning or early afternoon, maybe between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. Midday, and there were very few people. It was very quiet. No one had the masks on either. It's another thing. No one was masked up. And I go into the, the room. It's like your typical, typical, I don't know, doctor's office room, you know? I'm sitting there, and the, uh, nurse comes in and she's just asking the usual questions has taken down some information was just checking i think like the vitals uh, taking the blood pressure etc 
and uh, you know, is again everything's going normally. And then the doctor eventually, so I'm left on to my own devices. Everything's going normally. It's like a totally normal appointment until this point. Everything is smooth. It's fine. It's like indistinguishable, right? Then the doctor comes in and a few assistants and they have this um i didn't realize this until now i'm starting to look around and there's this you know iv already in the room and i wasn't I, you know it's a hospital what do you you know i don't know you're not gonna sit there and analyze every little thing in this place that you're never you're never really supposed to be at all the time as a patient. It's like, so what? It's a hospital environment, you know? The doctor and, and these assistants come in. The assistants, you know, they kind of start, you know, setting something up. And again, I'm, I'm not really, I'm just there for a checkup or something. Maybe I was there for tests and maybe I thought they were just going to get the, the, the stuff to do these tests on me or something. I don't know. But the doctor, he's talking to me, and he's, um, you know, we're just talking about things. He was mentioning something about sleep and uh, how it, you know, something about the brain waves and some sort of topic. And then he says, he, he distracts me. You know, that's what they do. They try to distract you if they're going to go in for something else. It's such an easy trick, you know, that's how so many magicians do their act, do their skit. You know, the sleight of hand, they make you look at something else and they do something where you're not looking, you're distracted. And I remember, I remember the doctor distracted me, he was saying, and it must have been a cue or something to his assistants. But I was distracted and I was looking over to my, my left, again, I'm sitting here on the little table. I'm looking on the left, almost maybe on the floor. He was like, did you, you know, maybe pretended to drop something? I don't know. But obviously I wasn't looking at my right arm. And that's when, as I'm distracted, the one assistant forcibly grabs me. The other one restrains me. And they, at this point, I'm shocked. And they put, they shove the IV in my arm. I mean, very, very crudely, but they wanted to get it in there and get it in there quick. And as this IV, this drip now is starting to get into me, they also put this one, like, gas mask. Maybe it was like, I, I don't know what it was, over my face. And I remember hearing the doctor say, get him, get him ready. And then it doesn't go black. It's not like it fades out in the movies. It's exactly like you know, how it was when I was getting my mouth operated on when I had the fear of the very serious, hardcore, um, general anesthesia applied to me. It's like a jump cut. For those of you who have been under that type of anesthetic before, you know exactly how it is. You know, whatever it is, the fentanyl or, or what have you. It's like, especially in the surgical setting, you're there one second and the next you're in recovery. And there's no space in between, you're not dreaming, it's not like you can feel yourself falling asleep. 
it's a jump cut, like a jump cut in a video. You're there one minute, you're somewhere else the next, it's almost like you traveled in time. You know, there's no recollection, one single bit of any moment in between then. You know, the amnesia is just that strong, you just do not remember. And that's what happens. I'm there in that room, one minute, and the next, I'm back at home, laying on the couch. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I, I feel weak. I feel like disoriented, I feel cloudy. And I'm thinking to myself, what just happened? I check the time and it's, you know, now it's like 4 p.m. Obviously a couple hours went by and something had happened. And I'm trying to rack my brain around it. I'm thinking, you know, the first thing in this dream I'm thinking is, was, did I just fall asleep here on the couch? Was I supposed to go to the hospital today and get this appointment and I just fell asleep and had this vivid dream that, I don't know, I was, you know, drugged and experimented on, uh, or what, you know, or did I really, what, what, what's going on, you know, is this some sort of psychosis, was it some sort of dream, did, did this really happen, or what, and I get to the mirror and I start checking myself, you know, it feels like something's not right, start examining myself, I start looking anywhere, you know, anywhere I can, to see, all right, is there any redness? Is there any bruising or any cuts? Uh, is there anything that I can tell what's done to me? I'm looking, I check my torso, check my legs, check everything. Can't see a single thing, check my face, can't see it. Then I start checking my head. I'm, you know, combing my, my fingers through my hair, I'm trying to examine my scalp. And all I notice in my scalp is this very, very thin, area of red that almost looked like something was was done right there that you can tell that it's not just an itch it's not just a scratch but rather a very very tiny incision in my scalp and I couldn't tell what it was but what it seemed in the context of this dream is that something was probably either worked on in my brain or implanted, or something to that extent. And I was mortified. And then you start, you start thinking to yourself, am I just making this up? Did I really go to this place? Did they really do this? Is there anything I can do about this? What proof do I have? That this, who's going to believe you if you sit there and you're trying to tell the police, look at my, look at my, they're going to think you're insane. They're not going to listen to you. No one's going to do anything. And I didn't even believe myself. But the next day I went down to that hospital because I was scared. You know, it's go down to that hospital in this dream and I go in and I want to, I want to see that doctor. I want to speak to that doctor. I want to talk it over. I want to just see for myself what, what happened. They're not there. And I remember in the dream, you know, the receptionist claiming that there was no one by that name at this facility. And that's when the dream ended. Now, obviously, it was a cliche to dream. You see that premise in terms of medical experimentation, um, government experimentation, etc., done so many times. 
And I probably had that dream from some story that I read or something, who knows. But that's a rare, that's a rare genre of dreams that I've had, I'll tell you that. Some sort of forced... To me, it wasn't like some sort of mad scientist vibe. But instead, it was like deliberate work by the government. Like, I don't know if it was something for tracking or something for mind control or something to try to just alter the functions of my brain. But obviously, it was some sort of operation carried against me forcibly against my will uh, to do something to my brain. And then, you know, of course, they intentionally cover it. They knew where I lived. They knew how to get in. They knew to deposit me back there and then to immediately close up shop and, you know, gaslight you into making you think that it never happened and no one would ever believe you. But it was a crazy dream. It wasn't scary. Of course, in in saying this now, the premise of such forced medical experimentation, um, especially to the brain, is a terrifying prospect. But when I woke up the dream, it was not like a nightmare. You know, I've had those dreams too, where it's like, you wake up and you've had a full-blown panic attack in your sleep. And you feel, you know, shaky if you're lucky for hours. Sometimes there was one dream that I had couple years ago that I, you know, I didn't feel the same for like three days afterward because it was so real, you know? This one felt real too, but it wasn't a sense of fear. It wasn't a sense of anxiety. Rather, it was the sense of like bewilderment, like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, this is really, really strange because I've never had a dream like this before. You know, it's creepy. It's creepy when you think about it. And obviously, medical experimentation does happen to this day. You know, right now with the the COVID-19 pandemic and everything going on, look, most medical professionals are here to help you. You know, they're here to help you. They take the oath and they stand by it 100%. And most medical professionals... Yeah, they might have, some of them might have attitudes, some of them might give you a little bit of a hard time, but they're not there to hurt you, they're not there to drug you and do these awful things to you. Of course, you do get some bad ones that will. And, you know, there are cases of legitimate governments uh, experimenting on people. But, gosh, it was just creepy. What else can you say? And it was such a unique dream that I couldn't help but say now i'm gonna recount it for you guys because it's probably some quality entertainment when is have you ever have you ever heard me sit here and talk about that before no probably not um but it certainly was a uh a unique a, a unique dream again so that's what's um that's what was going on there but i don't know i just wanted to share it speaking of medical professionals so a real a real experience that I actually just had with a medical professional that was good. No, you know, no um, sketchy hospitals, no weird IVs, no anesthetics, no, uh, you know, odd markings to the head or any of that. Um, I actually did have to go to a doctor, uh, I guess last week, because of an ear infection. You know, ear infections... There's different types of it. It could happen to anyone, could happen for any reason. 
Sometimes ear infections, they just happen because they happen. Sometimes there are characteristics. It depends on the type. It depends on what it is. Um, but I've been dealing with an ear infection the last, I don't know, week and a half. It's getting better, though, so first and foremost, getting better. Um, you know, everything is on the up and up there, but it makes for an interesting story anyway. But you have the different types of ear infections. You have the outer ear infection, which is a swimmer's ear. That's when you have, like, some irritation, some... Uh, discomfort, pain, etc. You know, on the on the outer ear, right? Outside of the eardrum, and that's usually what they call swimmers' ear, right? That could be that could sometimes be triggered by moisture, um, by diving, by swimming. You know, all that stuff. That's how that can happen. Largely, it's topical. Then you have an inner ear infection, uh, usually called otitis media, and that's what I had to deal with uh, this last week and a half. That's where the ear infection is behind the eardrum, again in the inner ear. And it's caused by a variety of, of reasons, but usually it's to, you know, the, the root cause of it usually comes down to either nasal or sinus issues, uh, maybe a little cold or something. Not the COVID, I was researching this. Coronavirus has no correlation to ear infections at all. So, and I feel good otherwise. I mean, it's not, it's obviously not coronavirus or anything. But it causes, because there's a little tube that goes from your nose to your inner ear. It's called the eucastrin tube. And that's how you can pressurize your ears, right? That's when you take that deep breath, let's say when you're going in a plane or taking off and you yawn, you know, you feel that little crackle or they say pop in your ear, right? That's because of the eucastrin tube. It pressurizes your ears. It allows for that pressure. It allows for, uh, you know, just it keeps them in check. And when that tube gets inflamed, when it gets blocked, then that can cause fluid to build up inside the ear. And that fluid can be infected, and that can cause discomfort, it can cause pain, it can even cause temporary hearing loss. And if more and more fluid builds up and it's not able to drain properly, because it's supposed to drain through that little tube, if it's too, it's too inflamed for it to, to drain, and it just builds up, something's got to give. And that's when the pain on the eardrum gets worse and worse and worse until, again, in some severe situations, it'll bust through the eardrum and your eardrum will break. That infected fluid will drain out your ear. And, you know, then the eardrum itself will have to heal. It will, but it's not going to be fun. not going to be a fun time. Now, it's usually in more severe ear infections, but look, it could happen. It could happen to anyone. So... Most ear infections, even the middle ear infections or inner ear infections, uh, again, otitis media, like we were talking about, can clear up on their own within a relatively short span of time, within, they say, like two to three days. Now, they're most common in children, but they can happen in adults. And, you know, it's, it can. 
And they, they usually say, well, you know, if the child has a high fever, if, um, you know, is just in pain, if the eardrum breaks, whatever, then, you know, go to a doctor. For adults, it's like, well, look, take it case by case. Um, but if it's been longer than, you know, three or four days, and it's still persisting, and it doesn't seem like it's getting any better, then it might be good to see a doctor. So, the first day, it was actually the day that I, I finished up the last broadcast. And I think you heard me mention in the show the tinnitus. That's the day that it all started. So, I've had tinnitus for pretty much my entire life. Uh, but to the point where it's manageable, it's like it's, it's always there. You always have that high-pitched background noise, but you can deal with it. It's like I'm so I'm used to it. I can live with it. It's not not a problem. I don't care. I don't know. It's just part of life. I don't mind. It's you know to me. I just lump it in with just the other internal noise. No big deal. Sometimes it's a little louder than others, but you could you could deal with it. But that day, it seemed like the volume of it was really pumped up. And it was in my right ear and my right ear only. It was this high-pitched, continuous tone that was extremely loud. And going along with that, certain other high-pitched sounds felt like either sensitive or muffled, which was really strange, along with this just continuously high-pitched uh, tinnitus. And it wouldn't go away. I thought to myself, maybe it's allergies. I don't know, it took a Claritin. Nothing. It didn't do anything. Made sure I took my vitamins, supplements, whatever. It didn't change anything. I took a Tylenol. That helped a little bit, but it didn't stop anything. Eventually, it cleared up a little bit on its own. It got more bearable, went to sleep. The next day, day two, that tinnitus type of sound comes back. It's still there. That discomfort with the high-pitched sounds and tones is still there as well. It's not as bad as the first day. The first day, I couldn't even think. It's like I wanted to rip my hair out. I couldn't concentrate, couldn't pay attention to anything because it's just like this loud tone just blasting and blasting in your ear constantly. Um, but day two, it was still there. It was really annoying. I was still having trouble focusing, but it was a little better. Day three, the tinnitus is gone but it's replaced by this feeling of physical discomfort. Something's not right. Feels like maybe there's something in my ear, I don't know. I get it, I'm looking, I'm really looking, able to get a view in there, there's nothing. The ear is actually clean, there's nothing in there. Day four, now there's pain. It's a dull pain, but continuous inside the ear. And that discomfort, I should say, is deep in. It feels like it's right up on the eardrum. And there's this pain as well. Now on the fourth day, along again with that discomfort. Day five, there's still that pain, there's still that discomfort, and I take my temperature and I'm, my temperature is at 100 degrees. I don't feel sick. Don't have any other issues, no cough, no you know, overt stuffiness, none of the, none of the COVID stuff, but it's just a low-grade fever, that pain, and that persistent discomfort, again, seems like it's in the inner ear. 
Now, because the COVID cases are surging here, I wasn't able to do an in-person appointment with an ears, nose, and throat doctor, but I was able to do a telemedicine um, call. And I had a feeling up till then, I was really researching this, and I had a feeling this matches so many of the symptoms of uh, inner ear infection. You know, maybe, you know, I'll talk it over with the doctor, explain it very concisely, and maybe some antibiotics will help, I don't know. So do the video call, talk it over with the doctor. And, you know, he agrees. He says, yeah, you know, just by the look of it, um, it seems very likely that it, that it is, you know, the otitis media. And I'm uh, going to prescribe you some antibiotic eardrops. I said, thankfully, by the looks of it, you know, or at least by from, from what you've been saying, it doesn't seem like your ear eardrum has broken or anything because there's no fluid, you know, draining out of it, which is, that's a good thing. But, you know, you can use these antibiotic eardrops, maybe they'll help. Of course, something is better than nothing. And then, you know, you do a follow-up appointment if you want, if it doesn't get any better, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. So, I get the prescription drops. Let me tell you, they are no, <laughs> they're no fun to put in, but it's bearable. It's like, I know what I gotta do. I know it needs to be done. So... It might be uncomfortable, but I'm not going to sit there and not do it because it's a little uncomfortable. It's got to be done. Got to bite the bullet. Because it's just, you know, when you have the liquid that slides so far in and it's got to go right up to the eardrum, it just, it feels weird, but it's, it's no, no big deal. Um, but the way you have to take it is you have to lay down, you have to have the affected ear upright, then you have to squeeze three of the drops in. You have to make sure they slide in good. And then you have to remain with that ear upright for about five minutes to make sure that they get absorbed in, at least, you know, good enough. So I started doing that. And the next day, everything's about the same, but now I'm using these drops continuously, you know, uh, three times a day. And then the day after that, I guess it's been about a week now. Wow, there's improvement. It starts feeling better. And I keep up the regimen. The day after that, it feels better. And the day after that, and now here we are today. Really, aside from the ear still feels a little, I don't know if you'd say full, but very, very mildly at this point. It's like a type of discomfort you wouldn't even really notice unless you pay attention to it now. Uh, the pain is gone, and I think those antibiotic ear drops are really helping. I think my body would have probably been able to fight it on its own, but it was just taking so long. I think it's I think the ear drops, uh, you know, gave it that little bit of a boost that it needed, and it's uh, it's clearing up very very swiftly now at this point. Now the one thing with antibiotics, this is just important info to anyone who has to take them whatever you do even like in this case it's already starting to feel much better do not stop taking them until the regimen is complete whatever you do don't just take them i don't care if you feel better or not keep taking them i'm going to keep using these eardrops until you know it's instructed not to do it anymore because one thing that is possible is antibiotic-resistant 
bacteria. You do not want to have to deal with that. Just keep doing your thing, keep it up, wait till it runs out. But the telemedicine worked. Of course, preferably I would have liked if he could have gotten a, a view into the ear itself, but I could save that for another day. He was a good doctor. You know, he listened, very attentive. And um, these eardrops, definitely, definitely what was needed. So... <laughs> it's just a story also as to how I've been doing, but it's it's a good one. Everything's getting much better. But it's a good experience. Again, no no sketchy hospitals, no experimentation, none of that. Just a good doctor and a good ending at that. So everything seems to be doing good otherwise. And now we go into the mailbag portion of the show. It's uh, really self-explanatory, the name is... It's simply a, a listener correspondence program. All you need to do, there's a, a clean slate. This is a place for you to ask questions. Uh, if you have a suggestion for a topic, if there's something you want to hear my thoughts on, or if there's something that you want to share your thoughts on. Uh, questions, comments, opinions, pieces of feedback, reception reports, and anything in between. There's a clean slate, there's no topic, there's no sort of lines that you have to stay in between and you know you only talk about this or only talk about that the only rule is simply be respectful remember the principles we talked about earlier in the show please try your best to adhere to them otherwise you know be my guest to talk about what you will uh, of course i cannot guarantee that i will be able to read every piece of feedback that comes in but i certainly try my best in each show to uh, get to as much as i can for today's broadcast we have, again, close to 50 emails. We've really been, you know, doing 50 or so for each show. Um, and we'll just get to whatever we can. I have them all lined up here. We'll just uh, start knocking them back one at a time and go from there. If you want to uh, contribute to this broadcast in the form of uh, corresponding, again, your feedback is welcome. It could be on anything. It could be a question, again, a comment, um, an observation, Something that you've noticed in the world, something you've noticed in the news, something interesting you saw or read about or listened to, uh, or anything in between. Also, fan art is welcome. If you're feeling creatively inclined, uh, you can also draw a piece of fan art if you want, and I will try my best to feature it in the next show. For those of you watching on YouTube, you see the thumbnail of each program is a piece of fan art. That could be your piece as well. And I'll be happy to credit you. All you need to do is send in the piece of fan art. It could be anything. You can send it in, attach it to the email, or send a link to the image hosting site. And I will try my best to uh, get it featured there. And I will credit you. You can let me know uh, either your name, or you can let me know uh, what your social media is, or if you have a website, or what have you. You've taken the time to make this piece. I will certainly take the time to give you the credit you deserve. The way to correspond with this broadcast or send in a piece of fan art is simple. You can send an email, long or short, to v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. That's v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. <clears throat> I used to do this over the radio, but I'll do it for the heck of it. Uh, spelling out the email address in the NATO phonetic alphabet, that's Victor... Oscar, Romeo, 
Whiskey, India, November, Foxtrot, Oscar, at gmail.com. That spells out V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O, at gmail.com. I've said that email address so many times that I think should be cleared up at this point. I think we know what the address is. So with that, let's uh, take a look at some of the feedback that has come in. We'll just start at a random place. We'll go from there. You could probably hear me plop down in the chair. And anyway, we're going to get to uh, some good feedback. All right. We've got it opened up. Now let's just pick one. It's always tough picking out what the first email is going to be, but you got to start somewhere, so let's just go down a little bit. Let's go down over here. All right. First email addressed to the show comes in from Bill. He says, Hi, John. I listened to your recent show and enjoyed it. I found it interesting that you had an English accent when you were young. I have a crazy theory, but I believe in past lives and wonder if you were someone with that accent in your previous life and it carried over. Do you believe in rebirth? That was from Bill uh, listening in. So thank you, Bill, for your question. And though the concept of rebirth is always interesting, of course there's so much that we don't know and uh, largely when it comes down to this life or if there is something after or if there isn't, or should there be something? Uh, again, be that an afterlife, or be that uh, reincarnation, or rebirth, etc. Uh, that usually goes down to various religious philosophies. Of course, with religion comes down various conflicts and very, very heated debates. Um, but largely, I don't. But even putting any sorts of religious doctrine aside for the sake of this discussion, uh, I, I don't believe in rebirth. Uh, you know, that's just per personally how I feel. Uh, really, because, you know, people, they talk about past lives, etc. Uh, I can't say I've ever had any sorts of compelling evidence, at least in my case, to suggest that there ever has, you know, been one, at least in my instance. Interestingly enough, though, I have seen a good amount of discussions, especially on radio programs like Coast to Coast AM, uh, talking about past lives. And it's always interesting. It's always interesting how, how some of the guests that they have on, you know, go into such detail about it. Now, if you want to play devil's advocate, for instance, and let's say that everyone does have past lives, perhaps there's a way to, you know, that maybe it's just a certain way to be able to see that properly, to be able to discern uh, that there is a past life or not. You know, that you can really look a certain way and uh, you have to get maybe a certain mindset. You have to have this certain focus, certain maybe meditative state to be able to ever see that. And otherwise, with your current state of mind, that wouldn't be possible. I guess that's, again, to play devil's advocate, a possibility. Um, but it's an interesting theory. I have to say, that's the first time anyone's ever said, I mean, people say a lot of things, of course, but prescribing it to the accent, uh, correlating that with the past life. Very interesting. Thank you, Bill, for writing in. It's good to hear from you. 
we have Nelson in Brazil who says, uh, first I'm sad about the whole situation with YouTube. It doesn't make any sense. After hearing you talk about people relying too much on artificial intelligence to write, I came up with a random question related to one of my hobbies. On the side of shortwave radios, where I discovered your work, I collect and restore fountain pens. So I'd like to know, do you have any experience with them? I think they fit your style and are an excellent tool for those who like to write. If you are interested, the Twisby Echo, uh, Pilot Metropolitan, and Lemmy Safari are good models to start with, along with Diamine Inks. Cross also has excellent models, very similar to the rollerball pens you have listed in your Amazon shop. Thank you very much for your attention. I hope you continue despite all the problems with your excellent work. Well, thank you, Nelson. Uh, glad you listened in on the shortwave also down there in Brazil. Fountain pens. I've never used one, believe it or not. But I've been asked that before. People say, you look like the kind of uh, person who would, who would use a fountain pen. And I say, I, I don't know, do I? Maybe I do look like a fountain pen type of person, but no, I don't. I don't. I don't use um, a fountain pen. I've never used a fountain pen, actually. Looking at them right now, though, they are. They are interesting. You know, I, w I would use one, though. Certainly would. I've heard some people that they say that the writing with fountain pens is, I don't know, is smoother? The word that I'm looking for? But something to that extent, anyway, that it's just a very smooth uh, type of type of writing instrument. I'm curious. I wonder if you know, because to me it seems like fountain pens. See, that's what I thought. They look, you know, they're very aesthetically pleasing, of course, but I was thinking, I doubt they would be the best for calligraphy. And I just, I, it's possible, but it's not usually encouraged. Okay, that's interesting. Fountain pens, but no, I've never used one. I remember once I knew someone who had one and used it for like a little bit, and the pen was a mess. It leaked everywhere, and it just seemed really sloppy. And I just, I just figured that that pen maybe wasn't managed properly, I don't know. It was like they would write and then an entire drop of ink would come out and it would be a mess. And if that's the case, I wouldn't want to deal with that. I want something that's organized and, and smooth. Now my handwriting, it's not a contest. It's not some sort of competition. I'm not there to try to look, you know, well, who has the best handwriting? My handwriting is terrible. Uh, it's it's indecipherable, really. So I'm not there to try to, you know, impress anyone with any sort of writing or note-taking. Um, really, some of you have seen what it looks like, and it's just scribble. I can read it, and pretty much no one else can. And it's a mix of sloppy print, uh, occasional cursive letters thrown in, and uh, that's about it. But, you know, what I use are those cross pens. I like the gel ones, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Some people say, well, why? Oh, it's not as good as the fountain pens. Well, maybe they're not. 
but that's my personal favorite. That's what I go with. That's what I enjoy using. Uh, I just like the way that they look, number one. They're important to me. And they just have a really good aesthetic appeal, but they fit in the hand good. And they write very smoothly. Uh, they write very smoothly. Not too much ink comes out, not too little. The, the gel cartridges are perfect. It, it, it lasts for a very long time. And they're just really, really good writing instruments, the best I've ever used. You know, pencil... <laughs> I'm done with pencil. I mean, it serves its purpose, at least you could erase pencil, but... I don't know, it just seems too light to me. Whenever I write, I always like it to be very dark. That's another thing. So, pencil is an issue, and then all these cheap pens. You know, when I was in school, I would always use these really, really, you know, just cheap garbage pens, these stupid plastic ones that you would get, you know, for a few bucks you would buy a bag of 20 or 40 of them, and they're always... T <laughs> it was a disaster. You know, one would explode, one would break, one would fall apart, one would run out of ink, it would be too light, or it, never, it would never work properly. So, those cross pens, they work. I've been using them for years, and there's a reason why. You know, there's there's a reason. Uh, because it, it's just, it's one of those things that you've found what works best for you. And, you know, different things work for different people. There's no, there's no denying that. That's why I'm going to say, with these pens, it's not like one size fits all. You know how it is. Everyone's different. It'd be like if, if I tried to tell every last person that a fountain pen is all they could ever use, it's like, well, yeah, some people would be like, wow, this thing is amazing, it's fantastic. Others would say, yeah, I hate this, you know, I really don't like it. So certain things work for certain people, but I mean, I, I am open to trying out a fountain pen at some point, just for curiosity's sake. Uh, I'd certainly be, I'll certainly do that at some point, I'll go get one. Thank you for the suggestions, by the way. And uh, when I eventually do, I can report back and uh, let you know what I think. But fountain pens are interesting. It is a topic that's been raised um, in the past. All right, next email comes in, let's see, from Matt. He says, hello, sir. Greetings from South Devon, UK. Just one question. When will you do another paranormal show? Love anything to do with the unexplained or supernatural, and I've recently discovered a YouTube channel, and I'm enjoying falling asleep to your videos. Keep up the good work, and thank you for all the great content. P.S. The Bigfoot stuff was great. You should look into dogmen slash werewolves. We don't have Bigfoot in the UK, but we have a suspected werewolf in Wales. Search Welsh werewolf. Uh, you might like the Unexplainers, a UK comedy duo that do a program on the paranormal. All the best from Matt. Well, thank you, Matt. Good to hear from you over in the uh, the UK. Well, here's the thing. I enjoy the paranormal. I still do. My biggest issue is that I don't know what's safe to talk about and what isn't anymore. Um, because, again, I made that mistake 
back in January, where I thought to myself, you know, the coronavirus is just, you know, it's something that's going on, it's a topic. I thought I was having sensible discussion on it. Clearly, YouTube disagreed, and they, you know, they hurt the channel over it. So, I just don't want to take the risk, because, you know, I just can't. I can't do it. Maybe I'll do it somewhere else, but I can't do it here. How do I know that they're not going to listen to something, let's say, talking about werewolves, and say that it's, you know, promoting a harmful conspiracy or something, and, you know, give another strike? See, I don't. I can't. Maybe they won't, but how do I know that that's not going to happen? You know, because I thought to myself, the mistake that I made this year was thinking that they would never do that to begin with. But, you know, it's... You just don't anymore. Once it happens, it's like, wait, this changes everything. So, for the time being, I mean, I might bring it up, you know, in pieces, like in a show, but dedicating an entire show to it more blatantly... I just don't know if that's going to happen, at least, again, in the near future. Um, at some point down the road, who's to say? But that's my concern. But certainly the paranormal, cryptids, all that stuff, is still with great interest to me, even if I don't talk about it as much as I did, let's say, a year ago. That interest is still there. It hasn't diminished. It hasn't gone away. It's not like, you know, I hate this stuff now, and that's why I don't talk about it. Not at all. Um, my feelings toward it are just as strong as they were last year. Uh, those topics are still of interest. It's just given how things have been, you know, it's just you're a little more cautious. I think that's the best word for it. Next we have Manta checking in, says, I don't know if you've talked about dreams you've had, or dreams overall in more depth, but it would be interesting to hear what kind of things you generally dream about. I remember in a couple of videos you mentioned dreams you've had. Uh, one had a vehicle with sesame seed buns for wheels, and the other had, if I remember correctly, a merry-go-round with the nacho fries. I'm very into dreams myself. Uh, I keep a dream diary, and often get inspired by my dreams when it comes down to my art. So I'm curious, here are a few questions. Now before you ask the questions, I'm sure you've already listen to the broadcast, so you know that I, I actually did discuss a dream recently. Um, do you often dream... But getting to your question now. Do you often dream about the food you eat and review? Do you have slash had any recurring dreams? If so, what are they about? And if you're comfortable answering, uh, what's the worst or one of the worst nightmares you remember having? The topic popped into my head because a few days ago I had a dream where I was at a beach, and you were there too, uh, though you were trying to keep hidden behind a giant beach ball that you were carrying around at all times. Just a guy in a suit looking very suspicious carrying a beach ball around. I thought it was an amusing sight. So that's from Manta. Thank you for writing in. Uh, to get to your questions in order, number one, do you dream often about the food that you eat and review? Uh, no, actually. Very, very, very rarely do I ever have uh, dreams about any sort of um, food. Uh, most of my dreams, I would say, are focused on current events or the, the world. And um, 
I don't remember them that often, you know. Sometimes I'll remember them right when I wake up, only to forget them once again. Uh, but oftentimes they take place in very scenic, uh, fantastical places. Or they could be more mundane, but usually when they're mundane, they end up being more serious. I haven't really had any recurring dreams, though again, it's just those two themes. You know, again, they're either just in these beautiful, scenic, slash, fantastical places, or they're more serious dreams. And I don't really remember any nightmares that I've had. It's just, you know, some dreams are bad, but... But certainly there's good dreams, too. Plenty of good dreams. Um, but not a lot of food-related dreams, interestingly enough. So thank you for your question. The topics continue. You're listening to VORW International. Gunner writes in, Hello, Mr. Bra, long-time listener and subscriber to both your YouTube channels. I'm a delivery driver, and I like listening to your show while driving at work. I deliver for Pizza Hut, and that brings me to one question. What's your opinion on Pizza Hut? I know you like your pizza, but I haven't seen many reviews from you on Pizza Hut. Since I work there, I get to eat their food all the time, and I think it's pretty good. And I was just curious about your opinion on it. Thanks for all that you do, and have a good day. P.S. I won't be offended if you don't like it. Well, thank you for writing in. Uh, Good to hear from Delivery Driver out there. Uh, I have certainly been using delivery quite a bit uh, ever since, of course, the even before the pandemic, but especially uh, with all of that going on. So, Pizza Hut, you know, I'll tell you the truth. My opinions on a lot of these places are constantly changing. With Pizza Hut, there's a few items from Pizza Hut that, you know, I really, really like. And I think you know how it is. Like, you got your favorites. You got something there that's like, yeah, you know, this this item is great. This is what I keep uh, coming back there for. And for me, pizza-wise, that'd be the stuffed crust pizza. Uh, I like the stuffed crust pizza from Pizza Hut. All the little variants and derivatives that they release here and there are pretty good. The Cheesy Bites pizza, of course, it's just brought back every now and then. Um, But the Cheesy Bites pizza is my all-time favorite. And whenever they release that thing, you better believe, you know, I go there and I go there often for it because it's a good pizza. Uh, I like the Cheesy Bites pizza, but their standard stuffed crust pizza is uh, pretty solid as well. One thing from Pizza Hut that I've been getting lately that I enjoy are their sides, believe it or not. Uh, I like their cheese sticks, and I like their boneless wings, the Wing Street ones. Uh, I've actually just... Because to tell you the truth, people don't really think about it this way, but you can get the sides by themselves and still make it a meal. You know, I don't necessarily have the biggest appetite, So it works better for me than just getting a full-blown pizza. Uh, Especially, again, while I really like the stuffed crust pizza, you know, it comes in one size. You have to have a big appetite for it. And, uh, I don't know. Sometimes I've just been getting their, uh, uh, cheese sticks. And then I'll get some, uh, boneless wings. Medium. Medium. And I'll get that. And it's enjoyable. Just as good. Um, but some items from Pizza Hut can be hit or miss, but overall, I like Pizza Hut, and, uh, the delivery is always good. You guys, uh, always do a good job, so those are my thoughts on Pizza Hut. Hopefully no offense was issued, because really, I just have good things to say. 
Next up we have uh, some feedback coming in, let's see, from Ice Cream Gecko, who writes, It's been a while since my last email to you, but I think the time has come for this one. I've been wanting to hear your opinions about recent developments regarding the pandemic ever since it emerged. I've been following the topic myself since early January. Shockingly, most did not pay attention to it until we were all in it, with the little time we initially had uh, spent on playing down the rapidly developing situation or simply calling it a hoax altogether. That being said, I was shocked hearing you mention what happened to that video of yours in which you address the crisis. I completely understand that you're keeping the tabs closed when it comes to that topic. YouTube hasn't been too transparent when it comes to locking down channels for questionable reasons and even pulling other channels of the same person off the air. It's frightening to see uh, what they've implemented, you know, some of the same rules as Twitch. I did record a uh, little video about the virus myself a couple months ago addressing some points, but luckily it still sits on my channel happily. I guess one has to be monetized to get in trouble with videos like that. Uh, well, I have got the required watch time, I still need a few more subscribers to, <laughs> to enter the club of the demonetized. <laughs> Maybe it's for the better. To interject, uh, thank you for your understanding. Yeah, b believe me, there's some things that I really want to talk about, but this is YouTube, you know, I'm, this is their house, I'm going to play by their rules. Uh, if there's something that I really, really, really want to talk about, then, you know, I'll, I don't know, I'll go talk about it on the shortwave, you know, I can do that. I can go, I'm just not going to go sit here and intentionally say, oh, you know, F you guys, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and whatever. I'm not going to be a stick in the mud about it either. It's their site, it's their rules, I object to some of them, but what can I do? You know, this is, well, sometimes we have these things, we don't always agree with it, but I still gotta respect it. You know how it is. Um, but going back to your email, he says, back to your channel, can we expect a 2020 average day video? I've always enjoyed that annual series, and this year appears to be just perfect for such a video. I remember watching last year's episode thinking, Great, next one's going to take some time, but the first half of this year went by a lot quicker than I thought. And thank you for the remainder of your email. You also say, P.S., uh, that puff pastry croissant pizza that you reviewed was weird. We've got something similar coming out over here, but without the pizza label. Uh, people put cream cheese, green onions, and diced bacon on it. It's never my first choice, um, but not too bad every once in a while. Although these flaky crumbs get into everything and simply disintegrate and become one with clothes when you try to flick them off the shirt. It's horrible. Uh, so thank you again for writing in. Yeah, you know, I, let me tell you, it's a real bummer. It's a real bummer. The, uh, the fact that the average day video, you have, you have stuff planned for it. You think maybe, you know... It'll, you'll have some fun with it. That's what I always try to do. Of course, some of my average days are very, very mundane. And I think anyone listening to this, you know, kind of gets it. That the average day videos, while being average, certainly it's entertainment as well. And, uh, you know, certainly you try to find little things to film or little things to do, etc., etc. But 
but what can you do? Last year was fun because, you know, in the video, I went outside, went to a location, filmed some stuff over there. Well, number one, can you even do that now? Places have really gotten strict. And secondly, I myself, say what you will, I don't care, uh, am paranoid, very much so. Uh, of course, with the virus, but also just given given this whole year. It's uh, just an indoor type of year. Time to stay in. Stay in for a while at that. So, you know, a lot of great ideas for that kind of were shelved immediately. Uh, secondly, though, it's... I don't know. You know, the mood of that video is supposed to be jovial. It's not supposed to be some sort of depressing thing. Some people watch it and that's, but it's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be a fun, enjoyable video. But again, it's not that I'm not happy. I'm actually, I'm very happy. I'm doing good, but the vibe of, the the whole vibe just isn't right for this video right now. It's not. And that's why I haven't made it. Uh, you know, I'll make it when the time is, is ready. I know it usually comes out in June. I don't care. If I have to, you know, if the time is right in December to make the average day video, then I'll do it. You guys will likely get one, but I can't say when. I really don't know. I don't want to slap some piece of garbage together and try to put a ribbon on it and say, here it is, and people are going to watch it, and they're going to be like, what, what is this crap, you know? What I, I, sometimes with the average day video, I want people to watch it and look at it that way, but in a different context, and looking at the content of the video itself, and the maybe mundane nature of it, but not the fact that it's just some piece of garbage slapped together. So, the time just isn't right for it right now. And, um, eventually, you know, maybe, th maybe it will be, but I just can't commit to something and then just give subpar, you know, how it is. It'll be it'll be ready when it's ready. That's all that I could really say. Also enjoyed uh, that you mentioned your own little derivative of the uh, croissant crust pizza. And those flakes, let me tell you, the, the flakiness, it can be enjoyable, but yes, it, it can make for quite a mess. I, absolutely, I, I second you on that. And then... Yet when you try to flick it off the shirt, the thing just falls apart, and that's never coming out. I mean, that thing just embeds itself in the fabric, and it's good, good luck. You know, may as well just burn it, because uh, that's going to be its permanent residence otherwise. So either you got to make friends, or get a new shirt. <laughs> okay. Um, next up, we got an email coming in from John in the UK. Uh, he originally requested a shortwave schedule. I got back to him, uh, sent him all the times in uh, BST, and uh, he said, uh, grateful for the response, and I'll go ahead and buy a uh, more expensive shortwave radio based on your recommendation, and thanks for converting the broadcast times uh, to BST. So two questions. Number one, how do you stay on top of all the new fast food releases? Is there a good way to do this aside from visiting each of the restaurants? Once coronavirus has eased and I can go out more, hoping to do uh, do my best to eat more variety, 
of uh, some fast food and move away from my usual. In question two, or statement two, uh, I visited Florida recently and popped into a steak and shake. The food was good, but when I went to pay, there wasn't enough money on the card I use when I travel. Whilst I transferred the money from my main card to my phone, or from my main card on my phone, the manager who had been reading a newspaper was tapping his pen on the side and making tutting sounds. And he was very rude to my friend who lives in Florida, um, but I can't remember exactly what he said. It bothered me, but I thought it was an isolated incident until I heard about your experience waiting for your food in the parking lot. I wonder if they were even having issues back then. This is around December time. Again, thanks for getting back to me. Kind regards, John. Thanks, John. Good to hear from you. Uh, number one, staying on top of the new fast food releases. So there's some sites that I use, and you would, you know, there's a website for everything. There really is. Uh, good and bad, and everywhere in between. There really is. There, there is a resource, anything you want. You better believe it's there. Never underestimate the internet. And of course, there are news sites that literally track fast food, new releases, new items, and, you know, are there any, is there anything out, etc. One um, site that I used to use, is there's two that I used to use for years, and then one, see, there's one site called Grubgrade, and I actually screwed up in the last video that I did. I was sitting there and I said, because I, I was, well, at least at the time of recording this segment of the broadcast, I did the review for that cheesy thing from Taco Bell, it was, and I used Grubhub. And uh, it always works good because Grubhub, what I like, is uh, they do the contactless delivery and they take it, you know, if, if you tip good, etc., um, it shouldn't give you any problems. I tell the driver, because it's a real easy, easy gig, I say, look, just drop the drop the thing off in front of the door and leave. That's it. Don't even stick around. Just leave it and go. I can send you a text. I can do whatever you need to confirm that I got it, but I don't care. Just go on with your day. So uh, they always adhere to that. And um, that's what I like about Grubhub. I like the contact, true contactless delivery like that. Other places have this weird ritual where it's like, they'll put, they have this little pedestal that they'll put, this is like what Papa John's does, and I like their pizza, but the delivery practice is always a little strange. It's like, they have this little pedestal that they'll put out, and they'll, they'll put the pizza back on the pedestal, and then they'll step back six feet and, and watch you get it, and it's really weird, I don't know, I just, why, why can't you just leave it there? It's not like this is, you know, precious cargo or anything. If you've already paid in advance, what does it matter? It's, money's already exchanged hands. It's not, all right, if you haven't paid yet, then I get having to stick around and making sure you get what you need. But if you've already paid for it, which again, I always do every time, then it's no, there's no point in having to sit there and babysit it. Just leave it. It's fine. But anyway, so I always like Grubhub, but... As I was mentioning that, because I, I, that's how I got this Taco Bell item delivered, I got the name confused. 
and I said from Grub Grade. And there is a website that I used from probably 2016 to late 2019. That was called grubgrade.com. And then I don't know what happened. They would always post the new items, but then in November of 2019, I don't know, they just stopped. You know, did the, did the guy in charge of the site die, or did he just, you know, quit, or what happened? I, I really don't know. I don't say that to make a joke out of it. I, I really don't know. It just stopped with... I don't know what happened. Uh, so now what I use is a site called brandeating.com. You'd be amazed the amount of publications that cover this stuff. It's incredible. And um, I actually haven't checked it recently, so let's see what they have. I don't know. Let's look. You're going to see some intel gathering right now what I think when I look at these new releases. Let's see, what do they have? KFC completes nationwide switch from potato wedges to new secret recipe fries. Who's going to care about the fries? No one's going to really be all that interested. I I already tried that once with the um, fries from Arby's, and some people enjoyed that, but... Not a lot of people are really interested in just the fries. You know, fries are good, but it's not center stage. So if I get really desperate, I guess I can try that. But I don't... Who even talk... Let me ask you this question. I'm just saying this to the general viewing audience. Who even thinks about the French fries from KFC, really? You know, I don't know one single person who sits there and says, I'm going to go to KFC for the fries. I've had the potato wedges. They're, they're okay. You know, it's I don't know. It's just unremarkable. But I don't know. If I get really desperate, I guess that's something to try out. Burger King is selling their own beer in Denmark and Sweden. Well, that doesn't apply here. Dollar deal for mini shakes on Burger King, maybe. Sonic brings back the BBLT for summer 2020. That's a bacon lettuce tomato sandwich with extra bacon. I think I already reviewed that once, but again, I guess if I get real desperate, I can try that one out. All right, but see, they make it easy to read. They tell you everything that's there. Another site that I also use is chewboom.com. They're just good resources. I always peruse these and food news. Let's see. I guess Popeyes is testing out a barbecue bacon cheddar chicken sandwich in the Denver area. Well, it's, what else do we have? Big Boy. What the heck is Big Boy? Never heard of this chain. The new Dolly chicken sandwich. It looks an awful lot like the Popeyes one. I don't know, where's Big Boy restaurants? They have, do they have Little Boy restaurants? Big Boy. Oh, Big Boy. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay, Big Boy. See, I had to look it up. Now I, now I guess. Okay, that's more in the um, Midwest. All right. I never associated them with chicken sandwiches, but there aren't any down here anyway. I've, who knows? What can I do with that? Let's see. 
Yeah, nothing else. So I'll do that. Then I'll also check the individual websites of the establishments themselves. That's how I'll get the uh, the news from there. And uh, then there's also a subreddit as well about fast food, but usually it's already, I've already seen it before it's mentioned there. Uh, and secondly, in terms of your steak and shake experience, I'm not surprised in the least, sadly. It's, uh, it, you know, they've really gone downhill. What more can you really say? They've gone downhill, and they've been going downhill for a while. And, you know, you went there in December. They've already been, you know, on that downward trend well, well at that point. So they've already been going downhill for a while, unfortunately. So, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to experience them in, in that in that poor quality. I'm sorry that even if the food was good, you still had the bad staff that you had to deal with. You know, you can't, you can, you can never win. That's the thing. Next up, we have an email coming in from Julia in Atlanta. She says, topic suggestion is nightmare roommates. I'm currently escaping a very unhealthy living situation and it's provided me with more anxiety than I've ever experienced before. I'm safe now and just need to break out of a lease, but I was wondering what experiences you or listeners have had with roommates from hell. Thank you, Julia in Atlanta, Georgia, for writing in, always good to hear from you. Now, Nightmare Roommates, I cannot personally attest to uh, having bad experiences there. But, you know, just some practical common sense advice. And if any listeners who maybe have a few pointers on that matter do want to contribute, of course, you can send in a few thoughts to vorwinfo at gmail.com. But I would just say some practical advice. A distance, distance distance. When conflicts emerge, especially between those that you're living with, and let's say the person is is evil, let's say that they're a psychopath, let's say that, of course, number one, try de-escalation. Now, unfortunately, in many cases, de-escalating a situation only works if the person that you're dealing with is logical and rational. And if that's not the case, they're not going to care, or they're going to take that, they're going to abuse it, and they're going to turn it back around on you. <clears throat> so if de-escalation isn't possible, then distance is your, your best, best ally. If you can get out of there, get out. <laughs> you know, and you, you knew that. That's why you, you said, you know, escape it, right? Obviously... You know that this living situation just it can't happen anymore, whatever the situation is for you. Uh, it's just too unbearable. It's too awful. And that's why distance in that case is really your best friend. Uh, it's an escape. It literally usually solves a problem. And then you would hope that either if you live by yourself, hey, you don't have to worry about anyone. Or if you get new roommates, you know, hopefully things will work out better there. So, distance is the best thing to do, of course. Either get a new place, you know, just do anything you can do to get out of there. If you have to, if it gets to the point where it's physical uh, or even mental abuse, uh, then do whatever you have to do. Don't be ashamed if you even have to live back with your family. Getting out of there is priority. 
And if it gets really, really bad, in some cases, a shelter would even be better than uh, being with these individuals, whatever it takes. Truth be told, every situation is unique. Actions, therefore, have to be as well. Uh, but distance is very important. And if you find yourself in a situation unable to move, then you have to distance yourself any other way that you can. Spend your time at places. You have to spend as few time under that roof as you possibly can. And then do whatever you can to try to work. Because some people can't be... They, they cannot realize the error of their ways. They're never going to become a better person. So that's why it still always comes back to having to leave. Moving to a different location, whatever it comes down to. But distance, absolutely. It's what it takes. And only other thing I can say is still, regardless, de-escalation. Always remember that. It's, you know, especially if you're under the same roof as the person and every little thing sets them off, you have to think everything through very carefully. You have to navigate it as though you're navigating a minefield, I would say. And unfortunately, that strips someone of a lot of freedoms. But again, the ultimate goal is getting out of there and, you know, having that better quality of life, substantially better. That's the ultimate goal, of course. So thank you for writing in. Um, but if any, you know, those are in extreme cases. Of course, you might just have a roommate that, I don't know, plays music too loud, but is otherwise a good person. Well, that's annoying. Of course it's annoying. But you can live with that. You have to get maybe some earplugs or try talking it out. You know, usually, if it's a sensible person, you can reach a compromise. You can say, well, look, you know, I know you like your music. Uh, I get it. Totally understand it. You know, it's it just really gets to me. Would you be all right if, you know, you play the music, you know, from whatever, from 8 to midnight every night? And then, you know, just give me a couple hours to rest or you can... Maybe just close your door or try to listen with headphones or something. And usually if the person's sensible, you'll, you'll reach a compromise. They'll say, oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. And everything will be good. Uh, you know, if, if someone doesn't clean up as good, you know, don't, don't be totally picky, but just try to talk it over. Be rational, be sensible. And if they're a sensible person as well, things that could otherwise devolve into much uh, greater sources of uh, stress of strife, of conflict, can really be solved very quickly, very professionally, and uh, there would really be no potential for, for bad blood. Sometimes just having a simple, dignified conversation can really uh, do a world of good. Again, assuming that the person, really the individuals on both sides, are sensible people. So, uh, you know, when, when that's the case, these conflicts are so much easier to deal with. But when you have someone who's just too far gone, one way or another, that's when oftentimes relocating is the only option. Excuse me for one second, I just checked the uh, time right now, and uh, it's time for me to drink down some NyQuil. You might say, why do you need to do that? Well, it's just with the ear. Uh, still, it's just, it's been helping with that at least the whole I don't know, upper nasal thing, etc. It just helps, that's all. And uh, it just helps with the eardrops and everything. But 
again once i'm done with that then i stop this too it's no fun to take this but it just it helps with the whole procedure and you just fall into a routine and helps you sleep too there's some doxylamine in this as well which usually it helps doesn't do the job totally but this is nyquil severe cold and flu it's supposed to be i don't know what flavor berry flavor it's nowhere near as good as um the mucinex let me tell you that it's this red liquid and um how about it bottoms up it's very very potent i know what i'm in for let's just let's just get it over with and then we'll get on with the show just got to take some right now i always try to just you know you, ha you have a schedule that's all bottoms up down the hatch let's do it Yeah, it's, you know, the NyQuil is potent. It's no fun going in, but, you know, what you do is you just... If you ever have to take liquid medicine one way or another, be that cough syrup or anything, here is my one piece of advice to you. You might not like the taste. You might not like the scent. You might not like the appearance, whatever it is. For God's sake, if you're going to take it, I don't care how unpleasant it is, but fill up the little cup to as much as you need, as much as it, it has to be. And like you're pounding back a shot, completely down, one, one gulp and that's it. Sometimes people, I, I get it, they don't like the flavor of it, you don't like the taste. And you just think, well, if I just minimize it into little qualities, little sip by sip, you know, and then I try to dilute it with some water or something, it'll go down easier. Not at all. That prolongs the experience. Trust me, a lot of this stuff, it's potent. I don't know if you want to say potently bad. Some of it tastes bad. Some of it is just strong. But one little sip of it is really no more distinguishable than an entire mouthful of it so it's just not going to make a difference just gulp it back gulp it down and that's it one and done doesn't really taste like berry too much it tastes i don't know just strong like it's it's refreshing in a way though not in a real good way but it, it is, it's like, I feel like someone just shot a blast of, like, minty freshness. Not the mint itself, but you know that, like, certain coolness that mint provides? It's like someone blasted that down my entire, my entire throat. And all the way down to my stomach, I feel that. But that's not in a bad way, it's a strong, but to get used to it. The first time I ever tried... NyQuil, I remember I got, I thought, oh gosh, how am I going to do this? But you get used to it. When I was a child, I would have to take the liquid medicines, of course. 2020 has kind of been the year of taking these again. Um, because earlier in the year, especially, when I had that respiratory thing, I don't know if it was the COVID or not. I don't think so. Because I think it's more serious than what I really had, but... Either way, I had an upper respiratory illness, 
back in March. But again, it was nowhere near as severe as the coronavirus, and I didn't even have a fever. I just had this dry cough, and I was coughing up lots and lots of uh, phlegm. But I didn't really... I was sleeping a lot, but I didn't feel stereotypically sick. I didn't feel like I was totally worn out. I didn't even have a fever. Again, I was checking my temperature. I was doing all of that. I didn't have a pulse oximeter at the time, so I wasn't able to measure that, but I do now. But, you know, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. You, you know, even back then I was wearing the mask either way. I didn't want to risk it. I thought, what if I do have it? And I just got really lucky. I don't want to, I don't want to go out and spread it. But again, I don't think that was it. I think it was just some sort of allergies that just really um, got to me. And I think that's what it was. I don't think I had the, the coronavirus back then. But one thing that did help, at least, was taking, uh, you know, these liquid medicines. Robitussin, NyQuil, Mucinex. So I've gotten used to that. Um, but when I was a kid... I would have to take liquid medicines as well. And back when I was a kid, I didn't really know how to properly do that. You know, now, of course, I know you just gulp it down in one shot and that works. But when I was a kid, you know, I didn't like the way it tasted. I didn't want to deal with it. And there's always misery. I always hated it so much. But now at least you have a strategy and it works. But like I was saying, the one thing at least with the NyQuil that helped sleep a little bit is... um doxylamine. Okay, next up we have an email coming in uh, from an anonymous listener. Says, my friends and I first discovered your YouTube channel a few years ago when you reviewed Taco Bell's Nacho Fries back in January 2018. We've been fans ever since. During the pandemic, I've been working from home and listening to several podcasts on Spotify and I remembered that you had a show, looked it up, and uh, I've been binge listening for the last couple of weeks. I really love the show, and I'm impressed with your ability to talk about a wide variety of topics, as well as your knowledge of world events. You have a lot of encouraging things to say, and your positivity is refreshing in a time where so many people are going out of their way to complain about everything. I love your attitude toward your haters and your sarcastic comments, literally make me laugh out loud. All in all, I really appreciate uh, and enjoy you sharing your thoughts, values, and opinions. Uh, on a less serious note, I have a topic that you may or may not choose to uh, discuss. A few years ago, I had surgery, a left orchiotomy, apologies for butchering that name, I'm sure, as I had a small tumor, left testicle removal, I'll spare you looking it up and seeing pictures, uh, fortunately, the tumor was benign. I was in college at the time and was not embarrassed at all by it. I was open about it with those close to me and really ended up embracing it, even joking about it myself. I think this helped myself uh, and those close to me deal with it better. My question is, when it comes to making the best out of every situation, do you think trying to, making, uh, to make light of it is a healthy reaction we should all uh, take on, or do you think there's a line? So again, thank you for your email. I'll keep you anonymous, but it's it's good to hear from you, and uh, I'm glad to hear that you know health-wise, you're doing okay. That's good to know. 
I always want, I always hope everyone listening is in, is in good health and good spirits and in good shape. And I mean, definitely number one, I think what you did was perfect. Now everyone has their own levels of comfort. Everyone is different. But I think a thing like that, you know, even of course, and as people say, you know, private areas, sensitive areas, whatever, you didn't let it get to you. You weren't ashamed of it. You weren't embarrassed of it. You know, and why should you be? When it comes down to health issues especially, you didn't want this to happen. Such things just happen. So I think, again, seeing it as that way and being so open about it, I also think open communication is such a fantastic way to also be able to cope and overcome with a lot of things. So you did, I, I think you, you, you handled it amazingly, the way that it sounds. I'm, again, I'm glad that you're doing, you're doing good now. Uh, you know, making light out of certain situations is a case-by-case basis. Uh, I really think that that can really be true in many, many cases. You know, the saying, laughter is the, the best medicine, does hold true in a lot of things. I think it just needs to come down to common sense. For instance, right, looking, let's just say, at so much of the turmoil that's affected... Uh, the U.S. in recent times with the protests, the riots, etc. Uh, joking about those might not necessarily be the best thing to do. But again, in terms of many other things, uh, a joke here or there, even some, you know, well-meaning comedy doesn't hurt. Even, for instance, with the coronavirus, one thing that I think, and it was a little controversial, but I don't care. I stand by uh, what I did 100% is back in March when it was really starting to pick up, I did a review of a pizza in a a face mask and gloves. And I did that on purpose to just add a little bit of a comedic twist to such a depressing situation. Now, some people can't take a joke. They'll say, you never should have done that, whatever. But again, I stand by what I did 100%. And you have a small minority of people that were upset by that. But 99% of people uh, enjoyed that review and they thought it was a cool touch. They, they didn't mind it at all. They thought it was either funny or uh, a nice gesture or whatever. And, you know, for those of you who really listened to the show back then and even now, you know, that I wasn't making fun of um, wearing masks or any of that at the time. You know, I've always been a strong proponent of that. So it was just a, a trying to add a lighthearted twist to that. It depends on the situation. And, um, again, in some ways, everyone's different, but it could be a really good way to, uh, you know, to just help manage it better, both internally, but externally as well. So thank you for, uh, checking in, and it's good to hear from you. All right, now approaching, um, I don't know, the last leg of the show. Let's just get to whatever we can get to. John writes in, says, Hello, Mr. Report of the Week. Not sure what I should call you. I started listening in 2019, but was a little shy to send a message. I've overcome that now, and I am sending you this message. Just finished watching your Average Day video of 2019. Uh, Latest VORW as well. Discovered your channel in 2017, found it again in 2018, and have since been watching your videos. must say that you're a very unique YouTuber that has a great way of making his videos. The formal way of introducing yourself is appreciated by all viewers. Question one. 
when will you make the not so average day video for 2020? Uh, like I said earlier, you know, it's just when the time is right. Unfortunately, I cannot put a date down to it, but it'll happen when it happens, but it will. I just don't know when. Um, question two, I've always been curious about your height. How tall are you? Uh, you know, I'd say about six foot seven. I was actually recruited by the NBA. If it weren't for uh, all of the coronavirus risks and all of that, I'd actually be over there in Disney right now uh, playing with the NBA. You know, I, I, I think I've got what it takes, to tell you the truth. And question three, I'm not too familiar with your VORW schedule, so can you please tell me when you usually record these shows and when you upload them? Thanks, and uh, keep making these fine videos from John. Thanks, John. Good to hear from you. Um, there is no set schedule for these programs at this point in time. The last thing I want to do is time it and pump out utter, utter garbage. You know, obviously, look, you, you, you see what this is. It happens anyway, even if I take a few weeks on it, but at least I try to feel better about it. But there is no set schedule. Uh, though I try to do a few of these each and every month, but unfortunately I cannot say uh, it'll be every Tuesday, you know, at 3 p.m. Maybe it will be, but it might also be uh, Monday at 6 p.m. Or a Friday at you know, one in the morning. It just gets out when it gets out. But thank you for writing in. We have an email coming in from Austin writing. Uh, Hello, review bro. Much has happened since I've sent my last email. All of, uh, or a lot of local establishments have sadly closed down. One of these establishments is a restaurant where my family and I always eat every time we go to the northern province, and I have many good memories there and ate a ton of great food there. I'd like to uh, thank you for inspiring me to have an optimistic outlook and for always creating content through your main channel and VORW podcast. A lot of negativity is happening in my country and in society right now, but despite this, you cheer me up with what you post. Questions. What is the best DiGiorno pizza you have eaten? And what other frozen foods do you recommend? Okay, thank you for writing in. Uh, first, for the DiGiorno question, I'll give two answers to that. Because the one that's my favorite doesn't exist anymore, and then I'll tell you which one does exist that I could still get. My favorite DiGiorno pizza was their Rising Crust Pizza again from, I would say, in 2014. I know I've talked about this pizza before, I think at great length as well, for good reason, because it was a really good pizza. Uh, it was just a basic rising crust pizza with pepperoni, but they just changed it in a way that they just changed the quality of the sauce. The sauce was delicious, it just had this, it was thicker, but it had this sweetness to it, and it was just fantastic. It was just exceptionally good. And the pizza had these Italian herbs on it as well. You know, just sprinkled on. Nothing crazy. And pepperoni. But it was so basic. But it was so... It was so good. You know, sometimes... Simplicity, it works. 
and it was so good and then they got rid of it again uh, because they they claimed which is a lie i'm certain of that they said that the people wanted the older recipe instead of this one so then they reverted back to cheaper ingredients this cheap uh, tasteless watery tomato paste as the sauce and it was awful again and i was so disappointed when they got rid of such a good frozen pizza in favor of this garbage that they used to now it's gotten a little better but in 2014 when they got rid of the one i liked and brought back the other recipe it was just pure garbage um otherwise my favorite one that i can get now is the stuffed crust pizza from uh DiGiorno. stuffed crust I know they have the bacon stuffed crust one as well, and the bacon stuffed crust pizza is pretty good, but uh, I, I just like their standard uh, stuffed crust pizza. I don't know, I just like the little juxtaposition from this, you know, doughy, cheesy crust and a more thin crust pizza. Uh, it works. The sauce on that is just, I don't know, it's a little nicer. Topping distribution is good. I like the, I just like the pizza. It's just a good pizza. I can't complain, so... That's my favorite. Uh, some other frozen foods that I like. Um, those frozen little mini hot dogs are good. Uh, of course, different types of frozen pizzas. Uh, I also like frozen vegetables um, that you can steam or whatever. I, th those are always good. It's fine. I know it's not as good as the fresh variant, but still, for what it's worth, it's good. Better than uh, canned, in my opinion. Frozen chicken tenders are always good. That always works very, very good. Um, yeah, frozen chicken tenders, frozen chicken nuggets I'll go with. Frozen chicken wings are hit or miss. Sometimes they can be really good, sometimes not. Uh, from my experience, the frozen chicken wings that work the best are the ones that you have to spend a really long time cooking. And I know that's no fun. You know, we want convenience nowadays. But there were these chicken... I, I forget where they were from. I don't know the brand off the top of my head. But there were these uh, chicken wings... I had like a couple months ago. And they were great. But you had to cook them for like you know, 45 minutes. Very long time, but... They turned out great. Not quite restaurant quality, you know, but close to it. Certainly close to it, uh, which was fantastic. But certainly you had to work to get it. You know, it, it wasn't really work. You just had to be patient, that's all. Not something if you wanted something. You wanted it now, right? But that's uh, that's what, what it comes down to. So thanks for your question. Uh, next email comes in from Cade. Writes in, says, uh, have an assortment of stuff. I just wanted to share a UFO experience with you. It was about three-ish years ago when I was laying in bed with my girlfriend and looking out the window into the night around midnight. Nothing was off. It was just the normal fields and tree lines of Indiana until there was a bright, vibrant red, oval-shaped ball of light slowly moving south over the tree line. It wasn't small either. Given the distance, maybe a couple hundred yards, this object had to be at least half as long 
as a full-grown oak or maple tree. As it was slowly moving along, I woke my girlfriend up to show her, and about 10 seconds of its cautious southern movement later, it stopped directly across from our window for five more seconds and then plummeted toward the ground. There was no sound of a crash and the light was gone. To this day, I still have not seen anything like it. I know for a fact this was not an aircraft because all the aircraft would be flying southwest toward the airport miles away and thousands of feet above the house, not just above the tree line, and the light was far too bright and large to be a drone. So thank you, Cade, for uh, writing in. It's good to hear from you. And uh, it was an interesting experience that you shared. And the thing that, you know, because UFOs certainly interest me, regardless of what they are or what they aren't, uh, the phenomenon still does uh, captivate me. You know, the thing that makes, makes me interested in your experience is that, number one, you have an understanding of the air traffic in the area. You know, it's not to say that you're a pilot or whatnot, but you certainly know, right, where the planes go and, and what you're used to seeing. This obviously didn't fit that description. Secondly, the interesting thing that, you know, to me from what you said, is that it seems totally silent, that obviously this was a sizable um, flying object, right? And this wasn't tiny. And also, you know, you were willing to think, well, is this a drone, right? But you didn't hear anything. You didn't hear any sort of engine noise. You didn't hear any sort of rotors. Uh, none of that from what I can gather. And when it appeared to land or whatever it did, you didn't hear anything there either. So just how silent it was is certainly... That's, I think, to me, that's almost the most interesting part. The fact that, again, you described it as being so quiet, yet being something that is definitely sizable. So thank you for uh, writing in. Good to hear from you. Uh, next email we have comes in... Let's look. From Tom in Massachusetts. He writes, been a fan for a long time, but I've never written in because I listen on SoundCloud. And uh, I don't want to miss my question being read. Well, no, you're not going to miss it. I'll even, uh, I'll send you a timestamp so you could you'd certainly hear it. Uh, going to the actual question, I was wondering what your opinion is on psychedelics. I've personally, I've personally researched a lot of the benefits of them, and I've heard of people curing addictions and depression after one experience. Similarly, I've seen stories of terminally ill patients being given mushrooms. Uh, after their experience, they felt much more comfortable about death. And finally, uh, there are all of the insights people have been talking about have been talking about getting from the use of these substances. There are many studies on all these examples. The other interesting thing is that there are no physical dangers with the use of these drugs. There are mental dangers, but those can be avoided by doing them in a good setting with someone there while you are in a good mood. I recently had my first trip and it helped me a lot. I became more extroverted. I was able to reconnect with my child side making me more comfortable with my level of maturity. I learned that time was malleable, and I realized 
that I still had underlying feelings for someone who I thought I was over. The experience has been truly amazing. Personally, I think these substances should be legal if they are done with a professional shaman. Uh, you would either be prescribed by a doctor to go to them, or you could choose to go. Uh, you would then have the experience being guided by someone who knows what they're doing. So what is your opinion on the use of these substances? Has any of the info I've given you piqued your interest? Um, even if you feel comfortable with yourself and feel no desire to do them, which I totally respect, they're still fascinating to research. Hope everything is going well in your life, and I can't wait to hear your thoughts on what I've said from Tom. Uh, so thank you, Tom, for checking in. Thank you for your question. So, to put it bluntly, you know, I personally don't have any desire to try any psychedelic uh, substances, largely because... You know, I do, I do certainly agree that they could, in some instances, be mind-expanding, and they may have other benefits as well. Uh, some of them, we just don't really... You still don't know how it will react to you. Uh, that goes, of course, health-wise, physically, but mentally, of course, especially. Uh, since, really, this is all for the mind. Not necessarily for physical stimulation, largely for mental stimulation. You know, the, the fact is, you're still playing the lottery, the metaphorical lottery. A lot of people have good experiences, some people have bad experiences, some of which are so bad, it leaves such a profoundly negative impact on you, and if anything, it'll set you back more than it will do anything else. So, I just, you know, it's it, some of them are such powerful substances as well, I just don't want to place my entire being in that, you know, in that, I don't know, in their hands, so to speak. So, it's just not for me. But does that mean that I absolutely uh, despise them and will never research them and never understand it and I'll just irrationally hate it because I don't like it and I don't, you know, even want to bother the time to research them? Uh, not at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, despite it not necessarily being something I would want to try, doesn't stop me from researching them. Uh, one of the most interesting ones to me is uh, ayahuasca, right? And I think the ayahuasca, if I'm not mistaken, it's largely, it, ha it largely has the reputation that it does because of the dimethyltryptamine in it, um, but it may also be some of the other various roots, etc. that go into that, but of course ayahuasca is such a very, very powerful substance that I <laughs> might be too much, too much for so many people, but that has obviously had a very profound impact on some, um, but other substances as well, of course, it's just a case-by-case -case basis. You know, as for legality, I'm still, I'm still not at that point yet, but I do, I do agree with you, though. One thing that I can, I can see eye-to-eye -eye with you on in terms of legality is uh, certainly your idea would be a good one, uh, you know, should things go that route. It would really be another case-by-case uh, -case basis. You know, for instance, mushrooms, right, certainly can have a reputation for doing some good, um, but also a reputation of uh, impacting individuals negatively as well. Uh, but the thing that I like about your idea, again, of course, is that if they were to be legal, let's just say these um, 
you know, psychedelic substances. The thing is, I agree with you that I think, number one, it should not be treated the same way as cigarettes, uh, alcohol, or again, as some states have it now, um, marijuana. It shouldn't be something that you can just go to a dispensary, to a store, um, you know, go get some, some gas and go into the convenience store and just go buy, uh, you know, a couple sheets of acid or something. It shouldn't be that way. Uh, if it were to be legal, uh, I would support it being much more restrictive because these are far more powerful substances than um, any marijuana, than any cigarette, than any alcohol would ever impact you. As a result, they would, they, they would not be administered as freely to the public. So that's why I do think that if they were to be legal, I support the route that you would suggest. It would need a doctor's prescription because this is some serious stuff. Maybe they would have to do an exam, make sure that, you know, you're cut out for it in a sense. And then you'd have to go to a special place to get what you would be getting in an appropriate quantity. And then probably, preferably the distribution and also the place that it would be done at would be in the same facility. And then, you know, with that permission from the doctor, with the prescription, whatever, the proof, then you would go there and again, in the presence of someone who can guide you through it. Because I disagree with just making it all, um, all of that legal and just letting, you know, some, someone buy it, someone do it on their lunch break, and they don't know what they're getting themselves into, and then it's just going to be disastrous. Uh, it would need to be done with extreme responsibility and extreme care. And also in doing so, uh, avoiding such careless intake of it, I think would also uh, probably lead to a higher quality experience as well. And uh, maybe fewer, as they say, bad trips. But I'm not at that point yet. I just, I agree with you that if I were to support making them legal, that would be the route that I would go with. But I'm just, I'm not there yet. And that's my honest opinion, you know? One thing, don't be a crowd pleaser. Don't just agree with everyone um, because that, you know, would lead to less conflict. But I'm not arguing with you at all. I, you know, again, I know they have their positive benefits. I think they have some negative ones too. I'm just not at the point of, you know, supporting them personally or uh, supporting legalization, but they're certainly interesting. And, um, again, your plan is, is a good one, if, if they ever were to be. But they're fascinating. They, they certainly are. Uh, just reading some of the things that they're capable of. Very, very um, powerful substances, as we said. Next is Ross, writing in. Uh, with a shortwave question. It says, really appreciate everything you do. Thanks for keeping it real during these crazy times. I'm considering purchasing the Ritekis V115 radio. Uh, I see it's recommended on your Amazon page, but I do have a couple questions before I dove into the medium. First, is this a good starter radio? And secondly, should I consider purchasing an antenna, specifically the Sanjian ANT60, right out of the gate? Will my experience be vastly improved by the antenna edition, or is that something for the future when I really get into shortwave? And lastly, do you think, uh, or do you know if the Ritekis V115 has an antenna port, uh, or will I have to clip the antenna um, 
to the uh, built-in antenna on the radio. Appreciate any uh, feedback that you may have. Thanks again for everything. Keep up the good work. Okay, well, thank you for uh, checking in. Let's look this up right now, because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to give you the wrong answer here. So let's look at the Vitekis V115 receiver. All right, now it is an inexpensive radio. I'm looking at it right now, $24.99 US dollars on Amazon. So that's what we have um, first and foremost. Now the thing is with a shortwave radio, it is a basic receiver. And it'll get the job done for stronger stations. If you don't have anything, you know, that you would be able to, um, you know, let's just say, you know, afford. This is all that you've got. All you can afford is this $25 shortwave radio. Uh, then I say, you know, absolutely go get it. If you have a little bit more money and you can do it, uh, then I would recommend instead going with the Texun PL310ET or the Texun PL380. Of course, if you have even more money, then go with the Texun PL660. That's the one that I go with. That's about $120, $130, but it's lasted me since 2014, and it's a really good radio. But again, um, the Reticas, the Reticas V115 receiver is still good. still does a good job. Um, looking at the picture of it right now that I have up, it looks to me like there is something that you can plug the external um, wire antenna into, but if not, then just clip it on the antenna as well, and that works. Don't think that just because you have to clip the wire antenna onto the uh, telescoping antenna that that's somehow a bad thing. Uh, it works just exactly the same way. So that's not one thing or another in any sort of negative um, characteristic. If you're going to get that receiver though, I definitely get that wire antenna to go along with it. Because like I said, this radio on its own, while still being decent, may only pick up some of, some of the stronger stations. So for instance, here in Florida, if I had that radio, uh, I would be able to pick up a lot of the stations from the US you know, I'd be able to pick up WWCR in Nashville. Uh, I'd probably be able to pick up some of the frequencies from WRMI here in Florida. I'd probably be able to hear um, Radio Havana Cuba, uh, some of the uh, stronger international stations like maybe Radio Romania, maybe Radio um, Nacional de Amazonia from Brazil, and a few of the regional stations. But let's say some of the broadcasts from West Africa that aren't necessarily targeting the United States, eh, you might not really pick that up on its own. So that's where this wire antenna helps big time. Uh, so if you're really going to get a shortwave radio, um, by all means, get a wire antenna just to mess around with, even. Now, a wire antenna alone isn't necessarily going to make or break the listening experience. You see, just having the antenna, you need to place it in a good spot. And I learned that pretty quickly. When I first got my radio, um, I really wanted to hear the voice of Nigeria. And I thought, well, I have this long wire antenna I could hook up to the radio. And if I just put it from one end of the house indoors to the next, 
that'll work. Well, no, it didn't. Because what this wire does, it's, consider it this. You have this 30 foot long wire. When you plug it into the radio, this wire becomes the antenna. So now instead of having, you know, let's just say a foot long metal antenna, you have this 30 foot long antenna. And obviously the longer the antenna is, the more stuff you're gonna be able to pick up. Problem is, if it's in the wrong spot, yeah, this long antenna will be able to pick up more signals. It's also gonna pick up all the interference um, indoors as well. And you're gonna get more static and it's not, it's gonna cancel itself out. So best place to put a wire antenna, if you can feed it out the window, feed it out the door and uh, connect it to anything outside. You know, sling it over a tree branch if you want. Um, but anything, even clip it to uh, anything outside, and then you're really going to see reception improve. Uh, and then all of a sudden, all these stations that you could never hear before are going to start coming in. But uh, those wire antennas are very easy to string up, to take back down, and it does a good job. Um, but sometimes, you know, you don't really need a wire antenna to still get good reception, but it's preferable. It's a good tool. You have to maybe fuss around with it a little bit, but you can still, it can still really help. But sometimes if you're in a good spot where there isn't a lot of interference, you'll still be able to hear lots of good stations without any need for one of those. Uh, for instance, the other night, I was in a place that didn't have a lot of interference, and I was able to hear some good broadcasts from West Africa very clearly. Um, things that I would otherwise need probably a wire antenna to properly hear. But with just the radio and no big antenna, uh, I was able to pick up the voice of Nigeria on 7255 kHz. I was able to pick up Radio Mali uh, on 5995 kHz and I was able to pick up Radio Guinea on 9650 kilohertz. So all these uh, broadcasters out of West Africa were just coming in very clearly, even though they're not targeting the US. They were all coming in. Um, Nigeria had a program just in a uh, local language. I don't know, I don't think it was Hausa, but it might have been um, just uh, you know a dialect in, in some Nigerian provinces, for instance. But um, Radio Mali was having, they were playing lots of uh, indigenous African music, which is something that you never hear on the radio otherwise, so that was cool. And um, Radio Guinea was playing some more contemporary African music. So it was nice to hear some uh, fun stations and um, some of the things that make listening to shortwave worth it. All these cool stations out of Africa were coming in last night. Okay, next up we have an email from Joanne in San Diego, California, uh, who writes, I hope you're staying healthy in these crazy times, and I've been enjoying the format of the recent shows. I enjoy your lectures and free-flowing candid answers to the fan mail. I didn't care as much for the fan-recorded segments in the past. Most people, including myself, are not skilled at articulating themselves verbally. It was more cringy than soothing and immersive. So I've become quite hopeless with the pervasive ignorance and selfishness of so many people 
no one has any empathy, and, it's, <laughs> and everyone seems like an extremist. I try not to go outside for many reasons. I tend to eject, yeah, I, I feel you. Empathy is certainly lacking, and, and everyone's pointing the fingers at one another right now. But uh, anyway, you write, what is your take on why previous virus hotspots like Wuhan, New York City, Italy, and Spain are, I think, flattening out their infection rates, while the Sunbelt states are showing exponential growth? Was there an aspect of herd immunity based on undiagnosed cases that every city will have to suffer? Or are the citizens more conscientious after what they endured? Surely, certainly I feel we did reopen too fast. Okay, so to get to that question first, uh, you know, why do I think that some of the hot spots of the virus were able to flatten the curve, whereas um, other states and parts of the world aren't. I think it's a combination of two factors. Um, one, I think is, you know, discipline isn't the right word, but I think it eventually takes a certain point for people to really take this seriously. Although secondly, and now this is an odd guess, but hear me out. One thing to look at with all of these virus hotspots, think about when a lot of it was really bad there, okay? Wuhan, as far as we know, was January 2020. Italy was uh, March, as was Spain, and New York was, you know, parts of March and then into April when it was really bad. So think of it this way. What if, and this is just a wild guess, but just think about it. You know how the human mind is. Uh, we can get fatigued, things can wear down on us. What if, because all of these locations were facing the surge of uh, infection, when this virus was still something brand new, uh, still fresh in our minds, still a complete threat, we didn't have total... Um, you know, this burnout mentality where it's like, I've been dealing with this for seven months, I can't do this anymore. You know, which a lot of people have, I get, I get it. Uh, instead, it was like, oh my gosh, this thing is here, it's it's hitting us hard, we gotta be vigilant, we gotta um, stay strong, we gotta follow these precautions, we're gonna get through it. You know, and maybe more people took it seriously because it was fresh in our minds. But now as this thing is just still going and going and going, people are like, uh, I just want to go into a restaurant again. Yeah, I just want to take this mask off. I don't want to do this anymore. It's, you know, and people let their guard down also. And that's also why things are still going the way that they are. That's a possibility. What if? Um, it's human nature, of course, for lots of people to eventually let their defenses down. And things will just wear on you. So that could be. I don't know. It's a possibility, I think. Uh, another possibility, of course, could be the environment as well. You know, coronavirus, to me, it's an airborne disease. Um, you know, people can say what they want. They could say, no, it's aerosolized. It's some um, aerosol spread, not airborne. I've thought that it was airborne spread from the start, pretty much. And now I know there is this panel of 
I think, 300-something renowned scientists that just wrote to the World Health Organization uh, giving, you know, trying to give their case that COVID-19 is actually airborne and is not just aerosol, or that perhaps the aerosols can travel much further and lead to greater infection. Uh, to me, that would make sense. Again, I think that COVID has been airborne from the start. It's why it's spreading the way that it is, why it's going so quickly. It would make perfect sense. Either way, though, regardless of whether it is airborne or aerosolized, we know that transmission through breathing in the infected particles uh, is usually one of the ways that we can get it. Of course, also touching contaminants and then touching your eyes or your nose or whatever, getting that into you as well is possible. Um, but what if in a lot of the warmer climates, early on they were saying that maybe it wouldn't spread as much in warmer weather, but what if actually because of the air conditioning that we all use, uh, the air conditioning actually spreads the virus easier and, you know, the contaminated particles are able to circulate faster and better and reach more people as well. Um, that's a possibility, who's to say? But certainly a concern. Um, but third, and again, I just think certain areas have been impacted by it so hard, people really have no other choice but to take it seriously. You know, parts of the Hudson Valley, New York, hit extremely hard. The per capita rate of infection, it was unbelievably insane. That, you know, for instance, here in Florida, um, in some cities, pretty much in all the major cities, uh, especially Orlando and Tampa, the per capita rate of infection is around one in every 80 people uh, has the virus at this point. In areas like Miami, which are hit harder, it's maybe around one in every 50 people. And then up in uh, Jacksonville, uh, the per capita rate of infection may be somewhere around one in every you know, 100 or 110 people, maybe more. But in some parts of the Hudson Valley, the per capita rate of infection was one in 20. One in every 20 people had it, uh, which is an insane number. And at that point, everyone is going to know someone who had it. And I think that just kind of gets the message, you know, across that, oh gosh, you know, yeah, I gotta, gotta be ready for this. Gotta be careful. Even in New York City, the per capita rate of infection was around one in every, I think, 35 people. Huge, huge numbers. So that could also be a, uh, a reason, who's to say? But Hopefully things will get better at some point soon, though. You know, Cuomo in New York, he's being real at least. He's, you know, there's some controversy with him, and I don't always agree with him, but he said this the other day, which I agree with. He was saying that he thinks that it's only a matter of time before cases in the northeastern U.S. do go back up because the infection in the rest of the country will spread and will make a resurgence in the Northeast and that people need to be ready for it. And I agree. Uh, the way this is going right now, we can't keep the numbers down forever, sadly. They will go back up. So, I, yeah, that's just one thing. Um, 
here in Florida, I am seeing more mask wearing, but it's still iffy. You know, you still have people, they don't wear it properly, they don't wear it at all, they wear it just around their neck, or with the nose out, and masks are effective if everyone wears one, but if everyone wears one properly. Remember, the mask always has to cover the nose and the mouth. Always. It has to be both. If not, don't even wear one. It's not, it's, it's no better than not wearing one. Uh, you also have two random questions as well. First, have you ever gone to jury duty as a night owl and introvert? Early morning call times and being surrounded by strangers are extremely unpleasant. Um, with the pandemic, it's even worse. Uh, it is an important civic duty that I hate participating in. And second, back in 2015, you occasionally shared excerpts of your short stories. Is there a chance you'd share more of your writing again? I enjoy these segments. So thank you, Joanne, for checking in. I might share more of the short stories and stuff at some point. Uh, as for jury duty, you know, like I've said before, the court system is fascinating to me. And I will watch trials all day. Um, I'll watch trials. I'll even watch first appearance hearings and everything. This the legal system does interest me. It's of great fascination. Uh, I have never physically been to jury duty, but I have gotten um, the jury summons multiple times. I've already gotten it, you know, I think three or four times. If you would believe it, that many, yes. Uh, twice for the local court system in New York, once for the grand jury in New York City, and then once down here. And for all of those, I just had the number, call in, but I was never picked. So that's what it comes down to. But if um, I ever get jury duty again, I'd love to be on a jury be amazing be an amazing experience uh yes you better believe i would i would love to do that that civic duty and um participate in a jury uh, in a court case i would try to be um fair unbiased i would just look at the evidence and go from there uh, whatever the case is about you know i would love to be on a jury problem is <laughs> you think you think some of the lawyers would want someone like that on a jury absolutely not um the fact that they would see me being so eager to be on it i would probably be a good factor in eliminating me from ever being on one but oh well it'd be fun be a fun fun experience but that's what it comes down to but i don't mind it and um again as to writings at some point i might share more we'll have to see but there are plenty to go around so you never know all right we're going to read about three more emails and that's it for the show we have an email coming in from nick in england and he actually resent this one but it's interesting so we'll um we'll, we'll go for it he says hi john since you live in florida i was wondering if you've had the chance to see wild colonies of I'm going to mispronounce this, I know. Saracena. That's S-A-R-R-A-C-E-N-I-A. Maybe it's Saracena. 
Sabrachina, <laughs> you know, it's about carnivorous plants. There are six species in your state as well as hybrids of those species. I've only been growing carnivorous plants for five years, but I find them very therapeutic for social anxiety and have talked and heard about many other people with anxieties that have found the hobby relaxing as well. Unfortunately, both in the US and in Asia, there are people poaching wild plants, deforestation or bulldozers, to such an extent, some species of pitcher plants are nearly extinct and there really needs to be uh, some more done to protect these plants. I grow many species from all over the world and there's always something to enjoy no matter the season. Buyers just need to realize the plants from the USA need bright sun and seasonal changes including winter dormancy. Many nurseries keep them in lower light in death cubes and don't water them properly uh, or in the uh, right media uh, and many and so many die because of misinformation. I try to help others when I can and I'm a regular on several Facebook groups of growers where anyone is welcome. Take a look at cpphotofinder.com to see if there's anything you like the look of. You have perfect conditions for North American trumpet pitchers and Drosera filiformis, which can naturally grow in Florida as well as several subtropical and tropical species. Keep it up from Nick in England. Well, thanks for the email, Carnivorous Plants. Checked out the website, yeah, it's legit. Uh, seems to be a good resource for um, carnivorous plants. Looking at the picture right now, or pictures of the one that you asked about. You know, I might have seen some, but I know there's not any, you know, in the immediate vicinity, but I wouldn't be surprised if I had gone on walks and maybe seen some out and about. The one that I always remember, right, is the most famous one, and I assume it's a carnivorous plant, the Venus flytrap. Of course, I think, I think when people think of carnivorous plants. That's what they think of all the time. That's what I think of, that's for sure. Yeah, Venus flytrap. Probably the most recognizable one. Now, I haven't grown carnivorous plants in a very long time, uh, but I'm not afraid to admit that there was a time when I was young, I did grow a carnivorous plant, had a little kit and whatnot, and was able to grow one, and it was fun. You know, you try to care for it the best you can, but it was interesting. I'll never forget it. So, I would imagine it's a relaxing hobby. You know, I bet it's not for everyone, but I could certainly see where some people uh, find it interesting. Now, who knows what the future holds? Who knows what the future holds? Might be something to try out one day. Again, it sounds like something that, as long as you know what you're doing, right? You want the plants to grow very uh, nicely, then it should be okay. So thank you for your email. It's very interesting. I'll look up some of these other species of plants, and I'll browse around on the website that you linked to. So thank you for emailing in. Next up, we have an email coming in from Matthew, and he just has a story to tell. Uh, he said... I guess the reason I'm writing is because of a previous episode from 2014 
in which you spoke about number stations. These stations have always inspired a certain terror in me. You know how sometimes it takes a while to settle into the mood of a ghost story? With number stations, the hair on the back of my head instantly stands on end. I was wondering if you ever plan on doing some more updates on number stations or putting it forward as a topic, seeing as the last one was six years ago now. Uh, to interject before anything else, yeah, number stations are still going. Uh, they're still a thing, even though it's been six years since the last formal update. Uh, number stations are still used. And what they are is they broadcast on shortwave, for those who aren't familiar, and they're used by spies. So here's how it works. They transmit coded messages into agents in the field. And because shortwave is a medium where no one can be tracked, and no one knows that, you know, you're listening, it's one of the most secure ways that is still used today, despite being old school. So here's how it would work, for instance. You would have... Now some people say, yeah, but won't people find the transmitter? How is it all secure? Well, think of it this way. Like, let's use Russia as an example. And let's say I'm a Russian spy, for hypothetical purposes. You would have a shortwave transmitter in Russia, probably in some guarded military base. So no one's going to, even if someone tracks it down and figures out where it's um, transmitted from, what are they going to do about it? You know, the transmitter is inside a facility that's probably fenced off and has armed guards and whatnot. So the transmitter is secure. And the intelligence agency will come up with the message. It's coded using something called a one-time pad which is just a very secure system that pretty much makes the, uh, the message impossible to decode uh, unless you are the recipient. And they'll get the message typed up. It's always done with a synthesized voice. So they'll type up the numbers, plug it into the transmitter, and they'll broadcast the message on shortwave to the intended target. Let's say in this case, since I would be the hypothetical spy, they would broadcast it to the US from Russia. Then I would take my radio, listen in, jot it down, and no one would ever know. It's such a secure way to do that. Uh, and number stations in that way are still used to this day. You might say, does the United States, you know, does the CIA have a number station? No, they don't. Um, when it comes down to these types of stations, the intelligence agencies, of course, don't own up to it. N no government has ever verified the existence of them. But it's like knowing their purpose, and you know, if you could trace back to what country it's coming from, then you can figure out pretty quickly what it's tied to. Uh, currently, a number of countries still use number stations. They were really active during the Cold War. And it's died down a bit since, but there's still a good number of countries that have various uh, stations still on the air. Um, one good resource, if you ever want to listen to them, is a website called priyom.org. That's P-R-I-Y-O-M dot O-R-G. And uh, they just try to make a schedule of which... Because also, they usually broadcast on a set time and frequency. And they try to track down which ones broadcast where, so... You try to make a schedule of it so you could figure out 
how you can listen. Just for enthusiasts, you can't decode it ever, but sometimes they're just fun to listen to. Uh, there's different types of number stations, different languages, and right now there's a few that operate in English. Um, there's, let's see, Russia operates number stations in English, Poland does, Ukraine does, and Egypt does as well. Uh, Russia also operates a number station in German, I guess for Germany. There's a few Slavic number stations from Russia, Ukraine, and Poland. Other countries that also use them still are um, Taiwan, North Korea, South Korea, Cuba, and Vietnam. And then in Morse code, Russia transmits in Morse code, as does France. China also uses number stations, and if I didn't already mention Cuba, they do too. So a number of countries still broadcast number stations. Uh, you could still listen to them at any given time. And here in Florida, of course, the strongest one is always from Cuba in Spanish. For uh, probably some Cuban spies you know, in Florida, which would make sense. So they're still active, they still exist, and uh, I think they'll still be around for a while. But anyway, um, you continue your email. Perhaps one of the reasons I find them so scary possibly traces back to a story a good few years ago um, whilst I was on holiday with my family. We had rented a boat and were sailing canals and lakes in Norfolk, UK. On this holiday is where I found out what number stations were. My brother proceeded to explain to me the nature of the stations. Needless to say, I somehow didn't believe this could be true. And toward the end of the day, we dropped anchor right in the middle of a large isolated lake and settled down for the night. Whilst people slept, my brother came into my room so we could search for number stations using roaming data from his phone. I couldn't believe it. It seemed so haunting and yet like I was listening to ghosts of the past. It seemed malevolent to me. As we listened, something strange started to happen. A light appeared in the distance. Gradually it got closer and closer until it became clear it was a tiny boat with two people on board with a huge headlight. They proceeded to circle our boat for half an hour the light pouring through all the windows. I was terrified that they were going to try and board the boat, but fortunately this didn't happen, and they eventually left. I know this is ridiculously paranoid, but in the heat of the moment, I really felt like somebody didn't want us listening to those number stations. Of course, it was probably local authorities checking our boat, but at the time, as I kept my head hidden below the windows, as light passed over me, it felt real. If I ever wanted to have a really scary Halloween, I think I'll just stay in and listen to those strange stations. Not sure many will feel the same way as me about them, but to me, incredibly unnerving. Keep up the good work, stay strong from Matthew. Thank you, Matthew. No, they, they can be very unnerving, uh, especially when you realize you don't know what these coded messages mean. I mean, I've listened to so many of them, how do I know I haven't, you know, overheard an order to execute someone, for all I know, to assassinate someone? I don't. 
I may very well have heard one. It's just surreal to think about. So, I absolutely understand. I mean, number one, number stations or not, of course I'd be very, very weird, unnerving, and probably scary. In the middle of the night and this boat is just circling around yours. Um, but I certainly understand, given the situation, it just brought it to that next level. So, thank you, Matthew, for writing in. And I think we have time enough. Let's check. I would say one or two more emails. Okay, and we have one final piece of correspondence for the show today. My name is May. I'm 20 years old and from England. And this is my first time writing to the show, but I've been a subscriber to your YouTube channel since late 2016 and a listener since 2018. Wanted to say I really love your content, both the YouTube channel and the podcast. I have an anxiety disorder, and when I'm particularly distressed, watching your videos is a massive help in distracting me. In fact, I listen to all your podcasts twice, once when they first come out and again on the Apple Podcast app to help me get to sleep, which I find pretty difficult to do most of the time. Hope you aren't offended by that, it's just your voice is very calming, and it makes it easier to drift off. Uh, to interject, no, that doesn't bother me at all. If, if someone wants to listen to the show ten times, if you just want to, for some reason, put it on a stereo system and just loop it 24-7, 365 days a year, I don't care what you do. When I do these shows, it's not with any expectation that someone needs to listen one way or another. You know, you could listen anyway. If you, if you want to listen for 30 seconds and then never tune in again, I don't care. It's fine by me. So, no. Good to hear that you're uh, a regular listener, though. Anyway, I do have a question for the podcast. I know you don't particularly talk about political stuff, and I hope the subject isn't too controversial, um, but I hope you can still discuss it. In the UK, during the height of lockdown about a month ago, Dominic Cummings, who is our Prime Minister's chief advisor, broke lockdown laws. He traveled from London to Durham, a five-hour drive, to drop his child off with his parents because he believed his wife may have had symptoms of COVID. His wife also traveled with him in the car. His travel broke three lockdown regulations. Firstly, at the time, you weren't allowed to travel anywhere but your nearest shops, supermarkets, etc. for essential needs. A five-hour trip to Durham certainly wasn't that. Secondly, you were not meant to be leaving children in the temporary care of grandparents due to their vulnerable state. And third, if you're experiencing symptoms of COVID, you are required to self-isolate for two weeks. And so, by driving all that way with his wife, they were not self-isolating. This created a firestorm in the media, and Dominic Cummings came out with a statement in which he said he broke no lockdown laws. This is clearly untrue. Everyone knows he did. What's worse is that he, along with other cabinet members, were the ones who put those laws into place. Despite this, our Prime Minister Boris Johnson completely supported his statement. So my question is, what is your opinion on what the consequences should be? There are generally two sides of public opinion. Firstly, there's a large amount of people who believe, yes, he made a mistake, but we're all human and we shouldn't be punished whatsoever. 
The other side of the public believe that considering he's in such a high position, he needs to be punished. He knew the rules and broke them, and yet for months everyday people had to keep away from their loved ones, so why should it be any different for him? I personally subscribe to the latter belief. He should be made an example of. The fact that he broke the rules so carelessly and still had full support of the Prime Minister behind him shows the lack of seriousness behind our government in treating this disease. Since that point, I have genuinely seen a rise in everyday people breaking the rules, and I don't particularly blame them. This is an example of our government, or this is the example our government has set by backing Dominic Cummings. I apologize for such a long question. I hope I haven't bore you or the listeners. I look forward to your opinion and commentary, and thanks once again for creating such great content. All right, thank you, May, over there in England. So, you know, granted, I am familiar with British politics, so by no means would I consider myself versed in them in any way, shape, or form. Uh, you know, it's it's United States politics that I largely follow, and um, of course that would make sense since I live in the United States, but I try to follow world events as well and world politics. And number one, the one good thing I have to say about British politics, I know I'm sure people in the UK would beg to differ, but I really do not think that they are as vitriolic as politics here in the US are. And that's not to say that they aren't. That's not to say that there isn't conflict from one side to the next, because there most certainly is. But in the United States right now, the partisan divide between people uh, on the Republican Party versus the Democratic Party is unbelievable. It's, <laughs> you know, you'd, you'd think that the conflict at this point in time would go hot one day or another, but then I don't think there will be a civil war in the U.S. I think we're just too pacified with social media and all that, and that's a good thing. You know, there there should not be a civil war, but I just think sometimes the tensions get so high. It's like, what's really preventing people from just, you know, going at it in the streets over here? Some people certainly seem like they want to do so eagerly. It's, it's insane. It's utterly insane. And that's why sometimes I think that one day the U.S. will become uh, balkanized, uh, just like what happened with Yugoslavia. Hopefully not through um, any sort of civil war, but I was just thinking, if the divide just gets worse and worse and worse, will there ever become a point where the U.S. will kind of split up and certain states will become their own countries, you know? You'll have the southern U.S. that'll be its own entity, and the western U.S., and the northeast, and I don't know, just, you know, the political, social divide just gets more and more and more, so it seems, but who knows? Who knows, maybe that'll happen one day, but maybe it won't. It's crazy, though. Crazy over here. Uh, but obviously every country has its politics and has its, you know, the one side versus the other. And I think more often it's usually more civilized. Or at least done with a little more dignity, perhaps. So I'm just going to look at the situation without even taking a political agenda. I'm just going to look at it for what it is. So you have this government leader, very high-profile figure, and his party makes up these restrictions that people are supposed to follow in terms of the COVID-19. 
and then he himself breaks those exact restrictions. But then when he's called out for it, he digs his heels into the ground and says that he didn't do anything wrong. And then, you know, his fellow uh, entourage backs him up. So absolutely, I understand where that source of frustration is. And personally, again, just looking at the situation, I agree with you. Now granted, yes, we're all human. We all make mistakes, we all screw up. Uh, We all do, you know, we've all done things that even looking back on, we think, oh gosh, this is stupid, I shouldn't have done that. We, We make mistakes. And that's understandable. But the thing is, is that he is someone in charge. And in my opinion, I do think that government officials should lead by example. That's just how I think it should be. And I think that they should set the example of making sure that they enforce and support their own policy. You know, if I were a government leader, for instance, and I enacted some sort of legislation, I would abide by it 100%, and it would seem utterly ridiculous for me to make some sort of rule and make some sort of law or some sort of regulation only to flagrantly violate that myself. No, I would lead by example. I would say, this is, I would proudly stand by whatever it would be, and I would say, this is how it's done. You know, and just stand by it. So, that is a problem. Now, here's the thing, though. Does it surprise me one single bit that this happened? No. This is a common problem in governments all over the world. It's a problem here in the United States, with people on the left and on the right. It's not just one group or another, it really just comes down to any sort of high-profile political organization, where, you know, it even transcends politics. It goes into a lot of other things. Where, you know, you have this attitude where it's like, do as I say, not as I do. You see this so often. You see this even in the workplace. You see this in any field where there are people in charge of other people. You know, the big bosses on the top make the rules, but do they themselves follow them? Well, some do, but some certainly don't. They think that they're above the rules. I'll make the rules, but I don't have to follow them, because I'm the one in charge, so I can do what I want. And that's an issue, um, because I don't, I don't believe that. Now, granted, you do have to, you have to look at it, and you have to say, well, these people on the very top, they are not normal citizens. They are not average people. Uh, They do have their entourage. They probably do have assistance. They have these resources at their disposal. My question then would be, you know, I I see his reasoning, but then it, it, but that just doesn't make sense. You know, if he wants to drop his kid off to his grandparents because, you know, his wife has COVID symptoms, then why transport with the wife who would possibly be symptomatic with the kid, then wouldn't you just be giving, then the, the kid would be infected possibly, and then you're giving the, the, the kid to the grandparents? If I, if I read that correctly, that's the impression that I got. Now maybe I, I, I misread it or misinterpreted it, but that just doesn't make sense to me. 
you know, if, if he did want to break the rules but do so a little more responsibly, then it would seem to me that you would get an assistant or something to pick up the kid and transport the kid to the grandparents. And again, I know that's in violation of another rule. I'm just saying if you do want to break the rules but do so more responsibly, that would make more sense to me. So that just seems a little... I don't know, a little strange. Now, I don't know if he's really the highest. I know he's not the prime minister or anything, but even if he doesn't even have any assistance of his own, I bet he could still pull a few strings and get someone to do it. I'm, I'm absolutely certain that he could. So, while I do agree with the one side saying that, yeah, no one's perfect, when you're in that high of a position, you really should be on your best behavior. And that's how I see it anyway. So, in that case... I think that there definitely should be at least a certain type of punishment to show that they're serious about these these restrictions and that if you break them, uh, that there will be consequences, you know, cause and effect. Actions have consequences. Now, that doesn't mean that I would suggest something like, oh, put them in prison or whatever, but I would say a fine would certainly be reasonable. And again, that would be leading by example. That's what it would all come back to. And that would just be my philosophy. So, looking at it, it just, it seems like one of these typical, I don't know if you want to call it a violation of power, but you see this all over the world. Like I said, you get these people that, they're the ones in charge, but they never even follow their own rules. They just do whatever they want. They think they're above the law. And that's a problem. You hear about it so much, you know, on every side, corruption in politics so much corruption it's it's insane but absolutely i would think that at least a good fine yeah it may not necessarily stop the problem but at least it shows the government would take accountability and say we all have to follow this including the people at the very top everyone does not just the people below me but even i have to also and if we mess up then you know, we do have to own up to it and, and pay for it. So that's how I see it. It's about setting an example. And I see, I see definitely where all the controversy from that came from. So thank you for writing in. Very interesting question. And um, no, it's good. it's good to hear from you. Glad you're enjoying the shows. So with that, that's all that we have for you today. And um, yeah, I think that's it. Let's check the little queue of emails. No, that's it? Okay. Well, that's all that we have for you then in today's show. Hope you enjoyed the broadcast and everything that was discussed in it. And uh, hope you could tune into the next show when it does get up. In the meantime, please be safe, be healthy, keep the peace, and do take care. This is VORW Radio International signing off. <laughs>